Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers, episode 142. It's Harvey. I'm Scatty. And with me, as always, is my buddy, Matt. Greetings, everybody. So good to chat with you, Scatty. Our fourth episode covering The Name of the Wind, which is the first book, of course, in the King Killer Chronicle by Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, guys, we're going to get a little dark today. This is not a great time for our little quoth. Uh, We are covering in this episode, chapter 18, Roads to Safe Places, through chapter 25, which is called Eager for Reasons. Uh, If you want to check out the first 17 chapters, go back and check out our previous coverage uh, and stick with us for more. But these ones are going to be good. Yeah, having a blast so far. But this one is, this one's heavy. Blake. I mean, the last one was heavy. You know, we we lost Cloth's family uh, in a dark, dark turn. And this one just gets heavier. We're going to wallow in that darkness for a little bit. We're going to wallow in the trauma. We're going to just swim in it. The good news is, you know, no spoilers, but like, I think most of the real dark trauma will get covered in this episode. So we won't wallow for too long. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, a few announcements maybe before we jump in. Uh, Matt and I are lucky enough to join fandom artist Sanrixian on her Sanry Scribbles uh, program. Program. That's, tom- that's tomorrow for us, but for you guys, it will have been like, you know, like last week and a half ago or something. Week and a half I don't ago. Know. Hope you enjoyed Actually, it. a week ago. Week hope ago. We did, hope we do and did good. Uh, <laughs> And uh, you can check that out at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Sanrixian um, to get more information on how you can watch those. Um, a lot of fun. She just draws and talks and it's a good time. And we talk too. And we talk, yes. yes. Which is what we do. We're just going to sit Which there is, actually and watch her. Yeah, I mean. I've done that before. Argue, you yes. kind of forget to talk sometimes because <laughs> yes. you're just like, you're just like, <laughs> huh. She's so good at what she does. She drew us as Jay and Bob once. I gotta get drew, that. Do we have that uh, somewhere? No, I don't think we do. I think I think on a Discord she mentioned she would look for it, but I don't I don't think she knows maybe where it is. She the Mark Bolandor's monkey one is the one that I always remember. Right. With yeah. The, with the little monkey in a little armor suit. Mm-hmm. Wonderful times. Okay. Um <clears throat> Song of Madness ended. We finished our uh, yearly tournament, a Song of Madness, where we pit a Song of Ice and Fire characters against each other to the death in a series of Twitter polls. Um, this year, fans got behind their champion and willed her to victory. It was, yeah, it was. I, looking back, it feels like it was pretty apparent. I mean, it felt like the writing was on the wall uh, that Sansa Stark would be our 2023 champion and sure enough she rode the wave all the way to victory man yeah yeah it's it's been too long now it's been a few weeks and i've forgotten the numbers but she didn't really have a close match at all she defeated everyone pretty easily um and yeah it did feel kind of it felt it felt like her year in a lot of ways yeah 
Well, just like the talk around her and everything. It's just people were really supportive and really wanted her to take it this year. And yeah. Good for her. It was great. Yeah, good for fun. her. It was it was a good fun tournament. Of good course, for this fictional to... character. <laughs> good for this fictional character. You you done good. Uh, you did good, kid. We are we introduced some other fictional characters this year, which didn't go maybe quite as well as we hoped. It was we knew fun. they'd lose, but they all got yeah. pretty creamed pretty bad. Uh, yeah, I thought yeah. guys like Indiana Jones, Princess Leia, some of them would do pretty well. They did not. No, no, they didn't. And, uh, you know, we could have gone maybe for some slightly, some slightly bigger names, but we went and we chose some big ones. Indiana Jones is a big name. Yeah. Leia is a big name. Yeah. But, you know, we could have gone with Batman or Vader or something and maybe, but. I think that it still got greened, to be honest. I do too. I do it feels too. that way. Yep. Well, we wanted to have fun this year, and we did. So we did it. Yeah. It was it was a lighter, a, a, a lighter feeling this year than other years. Right. And that's good. Sorry, you can tell I'm a little distracted. I'm fixing my mic. So we don't have a repeat of that one time where my mic was behind my monitor. You were and you were so scared. Um, okay that's okay i'm checking hockey scores just while we're sitting here so okay avalanche playing tonight oh are they they are nba playoffs have started too i don't really watch them anymore used to be a thing for me but uh where will you be next week scad yeah next week i'm gonna be at ice and fire con and i'm really excited it's uh if you listen to the podcast and you don't know what ice and fire con is i'm a little surprised because uh, we talk about it quite a bit. Ice and Fire Con is a convention uh, for fans of The Song of Ice and Fire, which we are not covering today. So maybe we've gotten some new listeners that have just been listening to our King Killer content. But you anyway, check it out. They're like, what does Davos <laughs> fingers have to do with King Killer Chronic? Yeah. Who's Davos? <laughs> Who's Davos? Is he in book three? <laughs> do they have insider information? Their names are uh, Matt and Scad, not Davos. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, I'll be at Ice and Firecon next week. Going to be a great, uh, a great year as always. I'm sure. Lots of things on the docket. Um, I'm taking it much easier this year. Uh, no panels, no fandom fave thing, no performance contest. It's going to be. I'm going to focus on the biscuits and gravy this year, for sure, and oh. chatting with friends. And so, this will release while I'm there, actually, to patrons. And it will release when I'm flying home for non-patrons. So if you're a patron and you happen to listen to this for some reason while you're at Ice and FireCon, uh, grab me. Let's let's have a chat. You could have a listening party. That wouldn't be awkward at all. Yeesh. Wouldn't that be so weird? Yeah. <laughs> I can think of a few things that would make me more uncomfortable <laughs> than me like, hey, let's listen to my podcast together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember... <laughs> Do you remember when Rock Band, the game was huge? Yeah, I love that. I love, yeah, I loved Rock Band too. But I remember I was at like a, it wasn't a party, it was like a gathering with, you know, one of my best friends and he had it. And I really liked, you know, being the singer in Rock Band. I'm not a very good singer, but I really liked yeah, doing it. And, eh, and anyway, uh, you know, everybody's been drinking. It's really late at night. I don't want to stop playing. <laughs> And one, and I'm like, come on, let's keep playing. Everybody's upstairs away from rock band. 
And I'm like, I want to keep playing. I want to keep playing. One guy is like, I'll go down there and watch you. And it's going to be really terrible for both of us. <laughs> or something. It was awesome. Because it really is. It's like a, that's, a, that's, that's not a good exercise for anybody to just watch somebody it's sing. So that is in You're some basement like, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was awesome. You're like, sure. space. <laughs> I think, I think it was uh run to the hills. Probably that was, that was my jam for a while. Oh, oh, that, saint, times. that saint. You know, it's not often we get a new story on Madonna's Fingers podcast, one we haven't told through the or already 141 episodes. Oh my goodness. But I don't think I've shared that one before. Nope, never heard you talk about your <laughs> guilting someone into watching <laughs> you play rock band. <laughs> I'm a terrible human. It's all there is to it. <laughs> it's not being terrible, but I don't know, man. <clears throat> all right, let's get into it. We are spoiler-free for King Killer Chronicle until the end of the podcast for a special segment that we call Devi After Dark. So that means we're not going to spoil anything beyond the content we're covering in this episode until that last section there. So uh, don't worry. We'll warn you when that's coming so you can jump off if you are reading the series for the first time. I don't want to be spoiled. Um, and you can just turn it off and join us next time. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us. Tell us things that we missed. Correct us on things. Tell us what you liked if you liked something. Tell us to tell less stories. We probably won't, but you can ask us to. That's fine. Um, you can find us at uh, davosfingers.com. We are davosfingers at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook, uh, at davosfingers on Twitter. And you can learn more about our Patreon program at patreon.com slash davosfingers. That's right. Let's dive into it, Matt. Shall we go go to chapter 18? Roads to safe places. Yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so roads to safe places. Hmm. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, first of all, I do like that Rothfuss names his chapters. It's mm. kind of fun. Not something I'm used to. So not not after living in a song of ice and fire for a decade i guess george names his as well sansa yes samuel the soiled knight soiled knight <laughs> we picked the same one whoopee pants okay uh chapter 18 roads to safe places <laughs> this chapter starts with quoth giving us a quick lesson on how to cope with pain, there exists four doors of the mind through which we may enter according to the level of pain and our need in the moment. The first door is sleep. The second is forgetting. The third is madness. And the fourth, well, the fourth is death. So close mind in the immediate aftermath of the Chandrian slaughter of his family and friends enters that first door. He wanders deep into the forest with what he's got on his back, and he sleeps. The sleeping leads to the second door, forgetting, not completely, but enough to cast the most painful memories into a dark corner of his mind and numb the pain until an as-yet-not-to-be-expected time for healing. Uh, Dreams accompany the sleep. He dreams of Lackleth, a woodsman who years ago had traveled with... Quoth's troop. The dream doubles as a memory as he recalls Lackliff teaching him what plants, roots, and berries can be beneficial and which are harmful, 
teaches them how to move silently through the brush and how to set snares that will kill and snares that won't kill. Then the transition is sudden, as is so often in dreams, and as he finds himself in Ben's wagon, learning about tying knots. Then, in this dream, he's with his father, who's tuning his lute and preparing to play the song they'd waited so long to hear. As dad starts to teach him about waystones, of all things, his voice transitions back to Ben, teaching him that waystones mark old roads, sometimes leading to safe destinations, but sometimes to dangerous ones, too. Quoth finds himself then amongst a swatch of these stones. Swath, I think, is what I meant to say, but I said swatch. He finds himself amongst a swath of these stones, just a ton of them, as he reaches to touch the shadow beneath three that have been set up as an arch. He wakes up and realizes his mind had just taken him through a veritable Boy Scouts course and covered over his pain a bit in the process. Uh, with that focus, a focus on survival, he sets out to keep himself alive. He finds water. He lays a snare for some food. He finds the right kind of sap to soothe his bloody and torn fingers. If you remember from our last episode, he sat and played his father's lute until his fingers bled. And he finds a gray stone next to a small pond, which can act as a wind-breaking shelter. And he falls again into a deep sleep. The next morning, he finds his snare successful, a live rabbit just waiting to be dressed and eaten. But just the thought of blood again on his hands is too much for Quoth, and he lets the prey go, despite the gnawing hunger he's feeling. The regret, heightened by that pinched stomach, immediately presents itself, and he sets another snare to try again. He'll get there. And that's where our chapter ends. Yeah, he'll get there. He'll he'll get there. I maybe. No, I think I think you I think you will. I think <laughs> uh, you know it's a hard thing probably to to experience that visceral event that he went through with his parents and then to to then take a life of any kind, right? Probably is sure just not where his brain wants to be. Right. Yeah. You know, at least to get some distance to get some distance from him. Right. But how about uh, how about that dream? Just like I, I feel like maybe this is the most effective example I've ever seen of someone dealing with grief. Like he falls asleep, he forgets about it after like a one sleep session, and all the memories are replaced with just the memories that will help him survive. That he just needs, yeah, things yeah. he probably hasn't thought about in a long time. Do you think that comes from? From his training with Ben in sympathy and learning to access part of his mind and segment things. We remember he learned a a mental exercise called heart of stone, Mm -hmm. which allows you to kind of put aside grief and think logically. Um, Now that had always been something that was very proactive on his part to like access that, but you have to wonder if maybe he'd done it enough times that almost his subconscious was practicing yeah. the heart of stone to yeah. be able to get him going and get him moving. And the, and the other part of that chat, that same chapter, I think where he just talks about uh, hide the stone, right. Where mm-hmm. he's creating all these different rooms and there's literally two parts of his brain playing this game against each other and keeping information. I, I wonder if, yeah, he's kind of 
it's interesting that Rothfuss doesn't go into this, right? Because yeah. he could have he could have said, "I used that See, training. I used to part set of stuff. this all right to set all this aside." Like, I used exactly, the, you know, the ALR to to you know to to bury those memories with a different part of my personality, with a different person, and I bifurcated my mind. Right? He mm-hmm. doesn't say they did that, but it it, it feels that way. It's so he puts it away so effectively. I mean, certainly there are people that deal with grief you know, in this way by kind of burying it for a time. But I feel it feels way more effective the way it's being described here from quotes than I've ever heard. Absolutely. Um, and, the, it, and, it, it, and it might just be some of his natural ability too. Like he's right. just got that perfect brain that can remember all these things Lackliffe told him. He is like, a different The rest kid. of us are like, sure. uh, I don't know. We talked about some berries a mm-hmm. while. But because his brain is so sharp, which also comes from the training, but but just from him being special too. Yeah, you know, allow, I think so. Allows this to work for him. Sorry, I think I so. You. No, you didn't at all. Uh, the point of the game. Yeah, I think. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm a podcast host. <laughs> I do podcasts and then I forget what I'm going to say. Yeah. No, but you have to think that it makes sense that his. Um, that he wouldn't be connecting the dots if he was, if he was using some of these sympathetic abilities subconsciously, yeah. his yeah. mind, he wouldn't be thinking, Oh, I'm using heart of stone right now. He's so burdened by oh, sure. the grief yeah. and the exhaustion and the hunger that it may not even enter his mind that I'm using heart of stone. It, doing it it'll just kind of happen. Yeah. 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 And um, I wonder if that's what's going on. He said about heart of stone, Ben said this, a man who truly mastered Heart of Stone could go to his sister's funeral without ever shedding a tear. Um, and certainly he is feeling grief. He's It's there and you see it. Yeah. Yeah. But he's able, like you said, to compartmentalize, play seek the stone a little bit and um, put it into a room where whose door he can shut and focus yeah. on what he needs to do to survive. Yeah, and he he's for sure in denial. Uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, uh, in her book on death and dying, which is something I I read in college and was a major part of some coursework I did. Um, she talks about the five stages of grief: um, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And trying to put both in one of these boxes, I feel like it's just denial, denial, denial. Mm. He's not mm-hmm. dealing with anger or bar. He might get to some of these things later. It's hard for me to remember exactly, but. Um, but it feels she talks in that book, she talks about how it's rarely you're just marching through them, you know, anger, okay, denial, anger, bargaining. I'm I'm getting through them, I'm done, and I get to acceptance. Usually it's very cyclical, right? Your denial, mm-hmm. then some anger, then some bargaining, then back to denial, and you're kind of going around and around all the time. It's really early in Quoth's grief journey here, but it feels to me like just pushing away these memories like that, separating his brain, like you've been saying, is really just not processing them at all and dealing with denial. Absolutely. And we'll see that later in the later chapters. And for how long it seems like he does it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the themes is of, of this block of chapters that we're reading is his refusal to let people help him. Um, yeah. I'm going to point them out as we go through them. You probably will too. There's a lot of who I call in my notes heroes that come yeah. up for Quoth in these chapters. And um, he ends up refusing the help that they freely offer him. And, yeah. you know, th- this one we see kind of an indirect one in him. 
he gets a rabbit and he lets it go uh, because he doesn't want to remember. And that's a big part of his refusing to help throughout this block of chapters is he just doesn't want to remember. He wants to keep those memories locked in that back room of his mind. Um, And he certainly does that here with the rabbit, I think. Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk a lot more about that too, because I think in a lot of those ways he's, he thinks, well, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, So Quoth finds this, this gray stone right? That he uses as a windbreak. And again, because he's separated his mind like this, he doesn't associate it with his life at all. He just thinks of it as a windbreak and not a, not a graystone or a waystone. But waystones we learn are like magnetic, right? They, they can um, they have a magnetic property to them. And it's, it's almost like both was drawn to it, right? Yeah. And it's because, it, you know, they're special to his, his, his people, mm-hmm. Piti Maru. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he ended up on, on one. Yeah, and he does have he does have some iron on him, some cheap mm. iron, but so some iron, some cheap iron. Yes, so, correct. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that helped at all. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Right. and that shelter that he uses the the graystone for, uh, I made a note. He doesn't say it's for him. He wants to make a shelter for his loot. Right. It's not for him. It's for his loot. Mm-hmm. Which. You know he's he's very attached to this loot, and it's funny because, and the book too, uh, the book from Aventhe, um, all of this talk about you know leaving these things behind and forgetting them and not dealing with them and not processing them, but these two things are very important to him, and he's maintaining a very active connection with them. It's it's weird that he can do that and still not have those memories flood back, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Put a pin in that. I want to talk about that in the next chapter. <laughs> okay, cool. About fingers and strings. Yeah, because I agree with you. It's interesting the dual role, yeah. competing role that that loop yeah. plays for him. Yeah, yes. and the book too. I didn't, I didn't factor the book in. So good point. But uh, the loot, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I mean, the loot's way more, way more important at, at this set part of the book, at least for sure. Right. Um, and I think the loot is connected a little bit. And I, and I use this word maybe a little bit unfairly. One of the things we talk a lot about those four doors and you get a lot of the sleep, you get a lot of forgetting, obviously death's not going to come into this quoth isn't dying. Um, but the insanity, the third door, um, isn't, isn't one that's talked about very often, but this is where you get little glimpses of not like insane asylum, Gotham asylum styles, insanity, but a little bit of just, you know, not being in your right state of mind to the point that you are convincing yourself that you need to make a shelter for a loot. Um, and, and, and it's almost like your, your mind is going to that illogical, I won't say insane because it it doesn't feel like insanity. I think of the Joker when I think of insane, um, but this less than logical way of thinking to cover up, um, what, what you really need in that moment. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. It feels, it feels like a, a door beyond the forgetting door, but not quite in the madness door. Right. Yeah. Like, like in the, <clears throat> in the let's warp reality to something more comfortable door. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he's not, he's not, you know, insane, but he's, he's clearly not making the best choices all the time. Partially maybe because he doesn't want to remember things he talks later in one of these chapters about partially because he thinks maybe he deserves to be punished, uh, which is, you know, kind of a crazy thing to, right. to be thinking. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, I wish I would have had this Laddich guy back in my day. Little little scout master. Yeah. Lackliffe. That's his name. Yep. Yeah. He sounds great. He sounds great. Yeah. He's like the Ron Swanson of, (laughs) of close past. This guy's great. Here's your permit. Yeah. Find berries in the woods. Uh, Mike, I'm watching parks with my kids right now. And oh, are you? my oldest Luke is loving Ron Swanson. Just, yeah. just worships Eating the guy. Up. Yeah. We just watched the episode of, of give me all the eggs and bacon you have. Yes. No, I don't think you heard me. Correctly. I, don't, yeah, I want to make sure you heard me. <laughs> yeah. What I think you heard is bring me lots of eggs and bacon. What I mean is bring me <laughs> all the eggs and bacon you have. Uh, my kids are asking to watch The Office mm. and Friends too. And I'm like, friend, you're not ready Ooh. for Friends. Yeah, but The Office maybe. I'm like, mainly I'm like, you won't get it. They, like, yeah, some of this we've watched The Office and Chewy watched it. Who's between the age of ages of your kids? Yeah. It's like right yeah. in the middle of them. And there's plenty he didn't get, but there's plenty that's still pretty funny yeah, for yeah. him. So if you It'll feel good about it, yeah. Especially you in the know. later seasons where it gets into some more serious themes like yes. Jim and Pam's marriage Jim and, and Pam's everything. Marriage stuff. That yeah. stuff gets a little heavy. heavy. But yeah. 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 If you didn't know, this is a The Office podcast. Yes. It's Parks and Rec uh, thrown in. Uh, we are talking about Parks and Rec and The Office, <laughs> interrupting ourselves talking about the King Killer Chronicle, even though at its heart, this isn't a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. So figure that out, listeners. We're talking about insanity today figure that Insanity. out yeah. yeah and we fit apparently <clears throat> uh, but, uh, i have a ton yeah. more in this chapter i do have one thing in that memory um that i i thought was interesting um ben's talking to him about knots um and he says knots are interesting things they can be the strongest or weakest part of the rope and uh i think that's it's an interesting line he comes out of that dream and says uh and says Ben never taught me about knots. I never so, learned about knots from Ben. So, so what we have almost exclusively in that dream sequence is stuff that's happened to him that he's remembering, and then we have this weird stuff that with Ben that didn't really ever happen. Right, right. and obviously his dad never played them the song. Um, yes, I guess he never did in the dream either. He was just getting ready to. He was teasing it, but yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Although imminently yeah. teasing, it seems like he was gonna before the dream stopped. Right. Yeah. But that, your dreams do that sometimes, right? Like you're gonna do something, and then uh, your your dream somehow finds a way to stop the dream because you don't know what the painting looks like or what the person like. You know what I mean? So your dream stops it and finds a way. Usually out of it. at the worst time, right, Scad? <laughs> Usually right when you're about there. I don't know if. But are we talking about the same thing? What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't know. What are you talking about? I don't know. The way you I, phrased that made me think that you went a little dirtier than I intended. I'm talking about tying knots. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. But... <laughs> tying knots. I think you were talking about what happens after you tie the knot, maybe. Hey, uh, hey. In my uh, religion, yep. <clears throat> uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk maybe more about that in Debbie After Dark, but um, just sure. interesting that it's 
it's something that didn't happen to him and never happened. That conversation never happened. But I wonder if it's, yeah, I wonder if it means something. Mm-hmm. I think it must. I think it must. Shall we go to fingers and strings? We can. Fingers and strings. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Both quickly used his remembered knowledge to organize a little living space. He had a fire pit, a place to sleep, a shelter for his loot, and even some backup food in case of emergency. In four days, he had built this for himself amidst all his trauma. But aside from these basic survival acts, all Quoth really did was play his loot. He played every song he could remember, and he played those that he had forgotten. Then he started writing his own songs with his own lyrics. And after that, he got experimental, playing things that he saw. He spent three days capturing wind turning a leaf. I'm doing quotes for those listening to podcasts and not watching on YouTube. He got good at capturing what he saw with music. Then in the third month, he looked inward and started playing music about his memories. Watching Shandy dance, riding in the wagon with Ben, mother smiling. Playing these things hurt, and he hoped he would callous soon. Then a string broke, and Quoth just sat there dumbly, unsure what to do. Loot playing was about all he had. When he finally admitted to himself that he could no more make a new suitable string than buy one, there was only one thing left to do. He learned to play the loot with six strings. Took him 11 days. 11 days, man. Then another string broke. And he wasted no time this time trying to replace strings or anything. He just stripped it off and learned to play with five strings. Then a third string broke. It was too much. Couldn't play with four strings. He packed his things and he started to walk. He went south looking for a road to a town, a bigger town. His farmers have no need for loot strings and that's all he was after. His wagon track found a bigger road, then that a bigger one. And soon he was on a road that had lots of traffic. At first he hid from the people, but then he realized that if he kept to himself, he would be largely ignored. That is, until a man and his son encouraged Quoth to ride in the back of their wagon. He was hesitant, but it was easier to get in than argue. And his feet, they did hurt. So he did. Seth was the man's name, and he shared bread with Quoth, and his son Jake joined him in a verse of Tinker Tanner. That old rollicking. Great uh, tune. Great tune. The kindness of the ordeal and the memory of other wagons and other songs made Quoth's chest ache. And that's the end of this chapter. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of what we're terming insanity popping up again, uh, and I need to go to a town just to get loot strings, right? Yeah. Does he need to go to a town? Absolutely. The seasons mm-hmm. are a-changing. He needs yeah. to return to civilization at some point, um, but the reason that he's put into his mind for doing it is a little bit off. It's a little It's a little wonky. Um yeah, it's a little it's a little wonky. And you know what he thinks he's gonna do when he gets there without money to buy loot strings. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What what do you do now? <laughs> yeah. But but it, it is interesting because it's still it's it's still that that middle ground that you've wanted to come back to of he's buried these memories, but he knows the loot's important. He's right. singing songs about his mother and his family life, but he's buried the feelings. It's very, it's a very weird, you know, maybe this is part of that uh, Elizabeth Cooper Ross and cycling through some of the, you know, some of those grief stages. I don't know. It's a super weird balancing act. It's his only solace playing the lute 
is his only solace right now. It's the only yeah. thing preserving his ability to forget. It's his thing that's keeping those memories at bay, I feel like. At the same time, mm-hmm. he's bathing in the memories. You know, with every song that he plays, that's a memory for him. So yeah. playing these things hurt, he says. I love this line. Playing these things hurt, but it was a hurt like tender fingers on lute strings. I bled a bit and hoped that I would callous soon. Oh, isn't that why we do art, right? I know that's a yes. really that's a really beautiful way of saying that. It's why we do art. It's why, why we, we write art, music. Man. It's why we write, man. A lot of the times it's to deal with pain. Yeah. And we hope that by addressing it head on, it will be therapeutic for you and maybe therapeutic for others too. Yeah. I, I have a follow-up question for you on that being a musician, Matt, I just, as I was thinking about this, you know, I was like, what, what is it? I mean, I guess the question on its, on its surface is, what is it like to just invent music on the spot? Like I originally thought that playing warm, warm grass and cool breeze was really vague and hard to fathom. Like how would you even go about something like that? But then yeah. I started thinking about it. And I'm wondering, I'm like, well, isn't that always just kind of what making music is trying to match up sound with feelings and events. Yeah. So like, so like, does it just kind of, I know it's, it seems like such a basic question, but like, does it just kind of come to you and you're like, yeah, that feels like this. This feels right. Yeah, Yeah. it totally is. And people do it in different ways. I just finished a a song that I really love off to send it to you, Scatty. Yeah. Listener Scat is very good about, he's very gracious about listening to my music. It's easy when the music's good. Listen to this song, Scott, and tell me you like it, or I'm gonna, or my confidence will be ruined forever. But I'm not um, always the kindest. <laughs> I gave you some feedback once that you were you graciously accepted, but I felt like maybe it wasn't the best. No, I I don't even recall specifically okay, what that good. was. So good. it was. We'll leave it. We'll leave I, it. I received it well. Um, <laughs> all of your feedback has felt helpful. Okay. Uh, but like I just it's weird how the feeling hits you when it's like, it's not so much like that's right. For me, it's more of, Oh, that's what I wanted to say. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. So like with this one that I just finished, I had the music written for a long time and I was really excited about it. I really loved the way that the music felt and I kept singing stuff over it and nothing had ever felt right. But Mm -hmm. the way that the music sounded, I knew like this was going to be the the one that I reached deep into my heart to write something about, but I didn't know what was down there. And, and funnily enough, laying bare my feelings here, Kalisar, it came after a little argument with my wife and, you know, we've been married over 15 years now and um, we've learned to argue quite well. (laughs) productive arguing. Right. So it wasn't like screaming and yelling at each other, nothing like that, but it was, it was a a warm disagreement. I'll call it not quite heated, but not quite passive. It was just a, it was a warm disagreement enough that I felt like I needed to get some space after. So where I get my space is right here in this room where I am with these things right here. And I picked up my guitar and I wrote the first two verses of that song like that. It just nice. poured out of me. I had it. I had the first two verses written in 10 minutes or less. Right. Uh-huh. And it's just that feeling when it hits you, you're like, oh, that's it. Uh-huh. That's what I wanted to say. Right. Um, and it's not an angry song or anything. It's, I feel like it's a quite lovely sentiment, but um, 
it, it just, it, it, for me, it's less about, oh, that's, that's the sound of wind blowing leaves or whatever. It's like, no, that's what I wanted to say all along. Mm-hmm. I just needed to find it, you know? And I wonder if that's what Quoth was searching for too. It was just that right feeling, if that makes well, any it make, sense. It does, but it, I wonder, it makes me wonder if he actually wasn't trying to write warm grass and cool breeze or whatever these things are. He was making music about his feelings yeah. and noticed the things happening around him. And instead of naming him, naming the feelings and making them real, he named them the things he was seeing. That was happening. Yeah. A vi- yeah. Uh, the visual associated with some sort of memory. Right. Right. I think yeah. so, man. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Well, I didn't think about it until you just told your story. So yeah. thank well, you for leading me there. It's, it's an interesting, it's so, it's so cool that it made me think the guy who does that best for me is actually my favorite artist of all time. But one who I don't always talk about is Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews is so good about connecting, like, just like transmitting a feeling through Mm. song, right? He'll say these really weird things, right? Like he's got a song called Crush. And in the song, he's talking about you crush me with the things you do, um, you know, and using all these weird metaphors crash into me. It's pretty violent stuff. This is what this guy writes about sometimes. Um, but yeah, that song's about sex, though, right? You betcha. Crush kind of yeah. is, too. But okay. um, the thing is, is the way that he sings those lyrics and the music behind it and everything, you feel that emotion, right? Mm. Even though the words are kind of weird and different, um, you feel what he's trying to say. Yeah. And so he's very good at, at connecting emotions to words through music. Uh, it's one thing I love about him. It's a little difficult to explain, but. I remember I had a friend probably isn't quite right. We were a, we were friendly. We were acquaintances, played high school soccer together. His name was Pat Jass. And That's he used to name. try to convince me that the vocals were just another instrument mm-hmm. to convey emotion and the lyrics didn't matter. And I was like, dude, you're, you know, we were high school seniors. I'm like, dude, you're insane. Okay, I see that. Stop, mm-hmm. just stop. You're, come on. Put down, you know, put down your self-importance and just listen to music like the rest of us do. But I, I think, I think that's part of partially a little bit what you're saying. It can right? be. Like it can be expressing that emotion through your voice without the words even matching mm-hmm. sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. You hear Dave Matthews saying, "You read the words on a page," and he says, "You crush me with the things you do," and it's like mm-hmm. that's kind of weird. But then yeah. you hear him sing it, and he's like, "You crush me." with the things you do with the music behind it. And you're just like, mm-hmm. Oh, I feel yeah. that Dave. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, brother. So it can be, it can be when done right. But how, also I'm a big lyric guy too. So I don't quite agree yeah. with Pat. Cause I'm big on. You're big the on the right storytelling component. Can, yeah, yeah. 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 You, you can see that in you know the songs you've written. Or I think, I think you can. Thanks. How, how, how often do strings break? Not that often for me. I mean, it probably depends on if you're playing eight hours a day, I guess. Yeah. You're probably breaking a few more swing strings. Yeah. 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 But it sucks when a string breaks and trying to play without that string there feels like, like when you're missing a tooth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it sucks. So 
I feel bad I for him. I don't know why, but I was reminded of, I, I really don't know why, but I was reminded of there's something about Mary. Have you seen that movie? Oh my gosh. It's been years since I've seen something about Mary. Wow. The, he picks up the hitchhiker and the guy's got a master plan for seven minute abs. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, well, what happens if somebody comes out with six minute abs? And the guy just like freaks out and loses it. Nobody <laughs> works out in six minutes. <laughs> when he broke the string, he couldn't play with four. I, I don't know why, but that's where my brain went. You Nobody plays can't. with four strings. That's, that's the stop. It's, I nobody mean, does that. Come on, quote. At that point, point, it's just a bass guitar. So you can do it. Mm. I was, I thought he shouldn't have given up. That, oh, uh, really? Yeah. Okay. I'd turn it into a bass, buddy. You got four strings. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's foreign enough to me, like how that all works, that I thought it would be impossible to even do it with six. Like you're missing. Well, I mean, I guess you can adjust. You can adjust where you place your fingers on the frets to get. Yeah, it would be really hard. Strings. It would be really hard. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm. he shouldn't have given up. And says, says I. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to come over and cut a few of your strings, Matt, and see how you <laughs> see how you like it. When I've got a drawer full of extra strings. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a uh, an every year. Uh, slam dunk Christmas gift for my stocking oh, yeah. from, from, from dear Padme. She knows that she can always fill up a good always. portion of my stocking just with extra guitar strings. And I'll be yeah. just, I'll be pleased as can Delighted. be. It's yeah. a good Christmas this year with Thacker household. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I like how he says after he had seen to all his needs, his mind slowly started to reawaken itself. Uh-huh. I was like, homeboy, now it reawakens. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy does more asleep than I could ever do awake. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I get yeah. what he's saying. He's a very creative mind. Right. Yes. And he doesn't even, it's interesting though, that he doesn't even consider this survival stuff, this tremendous resourcefulness that he's demonstrating and as, sort of as being awake. Yeah. yeah. It just, yeah. he does it on on cruise Zombie control wrote yeah kind of wrote actions which right? is so interesting how his mind just took over for him yeah and just got stuff done and we actually see a lot of the same stuff echoing in later chapters building up a functioning shelter and living situation with mm-hmm. everything he needs and he even assembles a small stockpile of foodstuffs in case of an emergency we see him do that in tarbine in a couple of chapters right yep with yep. money um his mind just does these things and it's so fascinating Yes, it is. Uh, I I think he. It might it might be that him telling the story. He's got such a high, expectation and knowledge for what he's capable of that to him it feels. Yeah, it feels like he's operating at you know. Yeah. One fiftieth capacity or something. That's true. But to, That's but to true. us, it's like you were so efficient. You you put a snare and caught two rabbits in two days. In two days, yeah. I could never do that. I would just content myself with eating the mushrooms. And I don't yeah. even like mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. But uh, there's a, a really uh, cool line uh near the beginning. It just says an intensity of indifference that only grief can promote. Dude, I wrote down and, that same note. Did you? That's yeah. so good. It kind of speaks to what we're just talking about, right? That the indifference, the intensity of indifference that only grief can promote. He's yeah. so indifferent to the things that he's doing that 
He's not striving to make much better. It's like just enough to get by. A little food storage maybe, but not, a, like you said, not awakening his brain to like really make this a go, right? Right, yeah. Just intense indifference. Intense indifference. It sounds like a friggin' title of an emo song. An intensity <laughs> of indifference that intensity only grief can promote. Yeah. yeah. Be a good lyric. I feel like you could pretty easily just kind of walk through this book and write down a couple things per page and, and get some. And you have lyrics. a song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get some, get a song going. Yeah. Well, I'd like to keep a, uh, I said before, I'd keep a running tally of the times when he refused help. I also want yeah. to keep a running tally of the heroes that we see show up in, mm-hmm. in these chapters. And uh, to me, Seth and Jake fit that bill. We'll see that a little more into in the next chapter. Yeah. But um, you've labeled them as heroes. I, I I think I've noted them in my notes as human kindness. I, or, that's probably a more apt description for them. Well, no, I, it either works. I just, I did a similar kind of idea. I'm like, you can see in these chapters acts of extreme human I don't know, struggling with the word, which is just that, but also charity, the opposite. Like, but also the opposite. Yeah, you can yeah, see absolutely inflicting pain and just animalistic people that are evil and yeah, yeah feral animal and just mm-hmm. scraping and no regard for, for other humans. And it's just, it's almost like he's, you know, it's almost like ping pong with, with this, with this set of chapters going back and forth between humanity and, and inhumane. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, we even see it in some of the stories that we get to, we get to read here come out too. For do. sure. For sure. But yes, then you have Jake, these. I, my favorite part of Jake and, and, uh, and Seth is as heroes. And I agree they are is oh, it's actually the next chapter. But Shall anyway, we go to it? Let's, let's go to it. Shall we transition to it? Yes. Let's transition to it. Okay. This chapter is called bloody hands into stinging fists. So Jake and Seth's wagon with Quoth and Toe makes its way through the city of Tarbine, which grows in noise, crowd, smell, and everything else you'd expect in a city the further in that they go. They eventually stop in a place called Seaward Square and unload. Seth asks what Quoth is doing in town, why he, he was coming to town in the first place, to which Quoth replies that he's out to buy some new loot strings. And Seth and Jake, observant of the obvious, make a heartfelt pitch to Quoth. They'll be right here in this spot until after dark. Well, until dark, maybe a little after. <clears throat> if Quoth wants, he would be more than welcome to return home with them. They could use the help around the farm. His wife had just said so, right, Jake? Right, Pops. Quoth stammers a thanks but no thanks, thinking only of the fact that if he goes with them, that he'll have to explain to remember. And he plunges himself into the city alone. It's not long before Quoth is lost in this massive, dirty city. And it's not long after that, that he's accosted by an older street rat boy and his gang in a secluded alley. He doesn't stand a chance as they take his loot and guess at how much it will fetch from the Tarbine equivalent, I think, of a pawn shop. Uh, Desperate Quoth makes a valiant attempt to snatch the loot back and get away, but he fails. He ends up being thrown to the ground and in the process falls on top of his father's loot and it is crushed. Not only is the loot crushed, but he is beat savagely until he is saved by a city watchman who comes to break things up. And then 
promptly picks the helpless, broken Quoth's meager pockets and leaves him lying alone in the alley. Sometime later, he comes to, sets his own broken nose, and mourns the loss of his loot, and the boys had taken all the broken pieces that might have had any sort of value to still try to sell. There's nothing left for Quoth. And he sets off towards Seward Square, Square, praying he's not too late for Jake and Seth. He was too late. Bruised, broken, bloody, concussed, and starving, Quoth finds some empty crates in an alley to curl up behind and enters again through that first door of his mind, sleep. It was the first night of three years that he would spend in Tarbine. We, we talked earlier about that, that second and a half door, right, between sleep and madness. And it feels like running, hobbling back to Seaward Square, he kind of came out of that little second and a half door for a minute. I was like, I can't be, this is crazy. Right, right yeah, yeah. No matter how much pain it is to, to open up my brain, I got to get out of here. Right. And go with these nice people. He, it feels like it opened for like a second. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> and then he's he's shot right back behind it again probably. oh man oh man yeah your heart just breaks for him you're like please let jake and seth be there please let jake and seth be there of course they're not there yeah, dang of it course they're not there. dang it we'll we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that in in uh in debbie after dark but right um yeah it'd be, it'd be a very different story maybe had, had they been for um, sure you know, and if he weren't, you know, it was still just barely after dark. If he weren't, you know, deathly hobbled, maybe he could have just run after them, right? And found the wagon, like catch up, find the wagon, you know? Yeah, he's for slightly sure. young boy, mm-hmm. but he's beaten all to hell and, he, and there's no way he could do it. Yeah. Uh, we do have just for Sock and Sus Mappas for a second, because <laughs> we're in Tarbine, which, you know, is one of the we're, one we of the spend, few places <laughs> we spend almost this entire book, you know, in this little corner of the map. Um, so remember, if you go to the kind of the left bottom left quadrant, you can see Tarbine there. Yeah. Um, and a coastal. That's a coast. Yeah. Coastal Harbor City. And you remember Hallowfell. Way over to the left is where they left. Is where they left Abanthe with his, mm, his, yeah, his new with wife. His and so mm-hmm. they've been, you could kind of put the pieces together. They've been kind of traveling probably, you know, east toward Tarbine, he and his family, before they were accosted, mm-hmm. right? And probably made it most of the way to Tarbine. Yeah. Right. For him to through those walked, roads they were on. And then, you know, now he's he's kind of stumbled on his way. It's possible they went north or something, but most likely they were just kind of heading east that way toward Tarbine. Right. Just a quick map. Interesting. Interesting. It it doesn't. It's about the last good map update we get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need a whole map of Tarbine There's, now. Goodness yeah. gracious. Big city. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, it even points out that the last of twilight had faded from the sky by the time I found the square. Right, mm-hmm. a beautiful little meta, sad little metaphor about hope, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, well done, Pat. Yeah, golf clap for Pat. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- that part where he says, uh, where where uh, 
or the dad what's his name i missed the hero's name again the son is Seth. oh dad uh, is no dad is seth son is jake dad is, oh yes right so mm-hmm. seth where he says he just restresses it because he can see it's not getting through he says you hear me you can come back with us right like just to make sure it gets through like hero man he's trying so hard like he can see he didn't see it right he didn't see early this kid is not just on an errand like he's alone truly alone and broken and needs help right and when he sees that his tone just changes to like oh no yeah look we got to help him yeah yeah you can almost hear it the the when he fur when it like switches for him he says oh my boy Oh yeah. my boy. And you can just feel that tenderness yeah. and like, oh, man, yeah. I love this guy. I love him. Yeah. And I he, hope he just sells know, all sorts of squash and just, <laughs> I hope he gets, gets rid of all of them <laughs> and poor little quoth just so broken. Just he can't, can't accept oh, the kindness man. Yeah, because he doesn't think he deserves warmth or because he doesn't want to deal with the, the memories coming back. Yeah. He'd have to share his story. It's maybe a little both. He even says anything was better than opening that door. Yeah. But then later he thinks about, you said in that fit of, of yeah. that door peeking open a little bit, soft bread and butter songs while riding in a wagon, a safe place, a new home. Like, yeah, that's pretty darn great too. It's amazing what getting the shit beat out of you can do to right. your, uh, to your point of view. Yeah. Well, soft bread and butter songs while riding in a wagon. That was his life, right? Yeah. That was that was uh, what he had with his with his parents before. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it is also interesting uh, at the very beginning of this chapter. He misplaces his loot for like a half an hour. Yeah. Which is a little surprising. Um, and I, I wonder if Pat's trying to show us that, yeah, like with people, with people, these these things fade, right? Like you. Yeah. That you can, can start to get some sense of normalcy to the point where you're not, you know, needing to have it right here. Clutch yeah. all the time, building right. a shelter for it. <laughs> yeah, right. Building a shelter for yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good it's, point. I mean, yeah, it's, it's almost like a shield for him, right? Against mm-hmm. like really living. As long as I have this thing, I can just play my music and not deal with anything. For sure. For sure. And for a minute, he lives and unloads the the wagon and makes connections with other humans and. Doesn't mm-hmm. need the loot as badly, right? Yeah. One thing that I think Pat has pointed out before, because I think we've talked about it, but I can't think of the specific instance, but really starts to hit hard during these Tarbin chapters is the hypocrisy of religion, right? Um, and we see a lot of that little theme coming up. He doesn't hit us over the head too hard with it, uh, but you start to see it here, the two kids in... What's the kid's name? Pike. Is that the the bully's name? Pike's the leader. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his two little buddies. um, And his one little buddy is chastising the other one for taking Taylu's name in vain. Do not call Mm -hmm. on Taylu save in the greatest need for Taylu judges every thought and deed. Yet this is the kid that elbows Quoth in the head. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's a. Yeah, it's one of those one of those things where there are people that have had those stories drilled into them so much that it's it's just kind of part of their part of their personality almost, mm-hmm. but they don't act. But they're in missing any way. the mark completely. Yeah, yeah they yeah. don't act in any way that that matches it. 
my favorite part of that whole exchange is when uh, the guy that is not spouting the religion says, your mom's a penny whore. <laughs> and the guy, and the guy says, don't talk about my mom, Lynn. And the guy goes, iron pennies. That's my favorite so part. It's like even the cheapest yeah, like of even the worse. pennies. <laughs> uh, and then okay. he just waits for them to get in a fight. Yeah. Yes. Um, iron yeah. penny. I laughed out loud. <laughs> Do you know what like Nalt that? is? Is no idea. Thing, you know, I wrote. It, I'm like, what is this? Is it is it kind of a derogatory term of for a redhead? I, like for what? For a 12 yeah. year old? I don't for. I don't know what it I actually is. wrote it down to look it up, and then I didn't. Yeah. No, there's mm-hmm. nothing on it. And actually, I did look it up too. I forgot that I looked it up. All all that I got was like genealogy websites. Right of like there because it's like a last name apparently not a not a hugely popular one but um, yeah nothing nothing historically okay right yeah. I don't know what it is where he gets it from it's like nerd or nerd. something I don't know yeah. uh, wuss don't know. like just like those light derogatory names you fling at people yeah I don't know I I, I want to go back to the religion real real quick and you're right it's it's um only really because again it's something that i think pat does and we'll see it later with with something uh the the dinner resin that he talks about but he just in a completely casual way he brings up what is going to be a major part of this city and the and and the life here right Mm -hmm. and a big part really of the of the novel as a whole but it's just in this background you know these background characters It's so such a clever way of doing it. It's so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, it's like indirect world building or casual world building. That's what I'll call it. Casual world building. And we're so used to that with George, right? Right. Uh, George does it so well, but uh, I almost think Pat is a little subtler with it. I think so too. I think a little more casual and I love that. Yeah. Um, he says some brilliant stuff in this, the sound it made talking about falling on the loot and the sound mm-hmm. that the loot made when being crushed, the sound it made was like a dying dream. Yes. Uh, remember how good he's gotten at equating feelings to sound right through the yes, music. There we go. It's coming and, back. Wow. But, hmm. And again, just that fascination of the loot had helped stave off his memories, but it was also his one connection back to family, particularly his dad. Um, yes. So that touch point is now gone. Yeah. And, and like we've been saying, he's been using it. It is a touch point for him, but also he's been using it as a distraction to mm-hmm. not really deal with things. Is he going to have to now? Right. Yeah. So we'll see. As this yeah. So progresses. what takes its place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just survival, I guess. We'll see find out i uh, something george does really well too that that i think pat does well a little bit differently here but at the end the very end that was the first night of nearly three years i spent in tarbeam just as you ended your summer just boom just hit you with it like yeah. you, you're hopeful, like okay okay he he had he had the sense to get out right he wanted to go with the wagon maybe he'll just go to seaward square and wait for him to come back he'll just go there every day and they'll come back it's they gotta sell more than once ever so they'll come back and he'll you know find him or something yep and it's just one of those things where you're like oh 
he's gonna spend three years, three years in efforts. Yeah, three years is a long time. So he's twelve. So you know he's gonna stay here till he's like fifteen. Um, and he just my heart just ached the first time I read that. Of course, this Word. reread I knew it, but the first time Word. I read it, I was just like, "What? No." Yeah. Oof. Mm-hmm. And um, he's not in a good place health wise. How many times did he hit his head in this one chapter? At least three. Oh, At least three times he hits his head in this chapter. Yeah. And uh, there's more. There's more head hitting there's, coming down. There's the road. Lots more. Lots more striking of all sorts of body parts. Yeah. That um, many. That many hard head hits against head surfaces. That messes you up, man. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would think so. Cloth uh, is apparently. Has a resilient brain, I guess. Who's or he's in him? completely insane right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to read, you know, thinking about a 12 year old. You know, you've, you've got sustaining these injuries. Yeah. Some, you know, I've got someone a little younger than that. I just like thinking about them taking injuries like that is, yeah, it's right. hard. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of a sport where concussions are a, an issue that they're working on. And, you know, the dealing with the CTE, the post-traumatic stuff from their playing days, a lot of players having a lot of trouble with it, right? It's funny. I with feel like I hear that emotional in the NFL. and mental health. I feel like I hear that, like the NFL getting like lambasted for that, but I don't hear about the NHL that much. Do no. they? Are they getting like sued and attacked and... Maybe I don't, I don't see as much legal stuff, but you've had, I can think of four or five guys off the top of my head. I can name their names for you who have, have died as a result of suicide and studying their brain afterwards. They had severe amounts of CTE um, from concussions. A lot of it due to fighting, Um, but yeah, taking punches to a lot of these guys were former enforcers in the nhl big time fighters right. and took a lot a lot of headshots so remember when they didn't have to wear helmets you imagine man like, can you imagine how many how many people died of cte before like yeah. the game wasn't as fast as it is now but it's still <laughs> it's, it's still Physics a are hard different. sheet of ice and yeah <laughs> yeah right yeah. yeah, the NFL's doing all sorts of stuff with like for helmet technology to try to like improve it and stuff. The frequency of head hits are a lot higher in the NFL just because there's more players out there. Their their job is to run yeah. into each other, and yeah. so yeah, that's one thing they say that maybe wasn't something they originally thought. But like just the offensive defensive lines, it's not like they're running dozens of feet and colliding, but over and but over it's just and over and over and over, these and over again. Small yeah. impacts. And it's just not just on Sunday, right? It's no, yeah, week. Practice it's during practice, and, and right. So, with hockey, it's like it's less frequent, but when they hit, you know, their head is smacking that ice, yeah, yeah, or that, that fist is just connecting right there, yeah. or whatever. So, so like, how does boxing get away with? Like, uh, anyway, you guys are listening to a sports cast. Did you know that <laughs> sports cast that sometimes talks about I music and uh, the it. office. I love it. Uh, what else you got for uh, bloody hands and a stinging fist, Matt? I think that's all I got. All right. Yep. Well, let's go ahead and move to basement bread 
and bucket. He had been a month living in Tarbine, and today was a begging day. Having tried thieving the day prior and receiving a nasty blow to the head, hey, look at that, another blow to the head. He was content to beg for paltry sums today, but he saw two younger boys in an excited exchange run off. Unquote's curiosity got the better. The boys disappeared into a burned out basement and reappeared with hunks of bread in their hands. So he made his own way down into the basement. It was chill, damp, and dark, and the door to the place was in tatters. As he stepped through, a low, almost animal moan froze him in his steps. When he pushed through, he saw children. Children laying in cots or on blankets on the floor, one sitting on the ground, gently pounding his head against a stone wall. Looking closer, those on the cots were tied down. Everything within Koof told him to get out of that place. But then a man emerged with a, what, what? And his feet slapping barefoot against the stone floor. This man did not feel like a sinister torturer to Koth. Indeed not. The man offered him as much bread as he'd eat if Koth would simply carry some water for him. Trappist was his name, and he's a saint. Caring for palsied, crippled, and otherwise inflicted children that everyone else would have just let pass on. He restrained them because they might hurt themselves or others in the very conditions that they had. And he spent his life taking care of them with unending patience in this stone, damp basement. The hopeless creatures of Tarbine were welcome with Trappis, and that earned him a fierce loyalty among the children who felt they had this one place in the world where they could retreat to if they needed to, or water, or a little food, or even some safety from the cruel streets of Tarbine. And that's the end of this chapter. And I, I, I felt a fair amount of guilt the first time when I read this, because mm. you're like, oh, this is a bad place. And this is not a good place. Whoever is running this show is the yeah. worst of the worst abuser yep. of children and everything. And it turns out he's this really great guy. And you're like, oh, sorry, yeah. Travis. He totally set us up. A little awful. Yeah. He totally set it's, us it's up. It's like horror story there for a second. It's yeah. Like I got a soft it, yeah, spot yeah. for children, man. And you're going to, you're going to push on that soft spot. Oh, I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like this. And no, he saves that for a later chapter. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Trappist also has a soft spot for children. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, and so we're so we we go. You know, we got we got Seth and Jake. We got mm-hmm. the kids that just beat the shit out of him for no reason at all and steal his stuff. And the city Guard watchman does the same. Yep. Yeah, the city mm-hmm. watchman does the same. And uh, and we <clears> also <throat> have the the bookkeeper guy who doesn't let him sleep in the doorway. A minor, you know, certainly not as on the same level as the others, but just total total lack of kindness and then we get travis with the opening of this chapter devoted his whole life to helping the helpless yes and i hate it i hate it but i picture when i picture travis i hate it because i because this i don't like this character are we gonna fan cast are we yeah he's not a good character do you know do you remember the the torturer guy the albino in the princess bride no way that's, that's who my picture but like a less like a less like a, without the mouth sore and like you know whatever yeah, but like yeah, yeah yeah that's that's what i picture for Travis. okay just like okay. slapping around and you know that's probably better than who i've got i've got the guy from stranger things i can't think of his name the guy who speaks russian oh um, okay yeah 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 you know what i'm talking about i know who you're talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is his name 
Yeah, uh, I can't remember. I'm gonna. It's gonna bother me till I find it. Murray, that's his name. Murray. Murray. Oh, in Stranger Things, his name is Murray. Yeah. Brett Gelman is the actor's name. Brett, Brett Gelman. That's who I've got for trappies. All right. All right. Cool. Weird that we yeah. both fan cast that. It almost, know, seems, all it almost seems like we plan these things. <laughs> Listeners, we don't. We don't ever talk about what we're going to talk about. We don't share our notes. We don't. We don't. <sighs> we can't emphasize enough how little we talk about. <laughs> we talk between episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it fun. We do a ton of preparation on our own and then we come and just mash all of our preparation together and it ends up being a great time. It is for us anyway. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I love how he describes him as someone who looked at us as if we were human, not Mm. animals in rags. In return, we loved him with a silent ferocity that only animals can match. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I I get I guess the only part that bothers me is I don't know why there wouldn't just be a billion kids there all the time. Mm-hmm. Like why would you ever leave this place? Right. right, it's safe at least. Right, it's shelter. I, I, like maybe there's a sense of like, well let's let's let the people that really need it today use it, and I'll just come back when I really need it too. Like almost a sense of community among these children that need help. They're like ah. Oh, I'll need Trappist someday, but somebody else probably needs them today. Yeah, there's right? like an understanding of this social contract. An yeah, that, an unwritten code or something. Yeah, that's really interesting. interesting. And and also, I wonder where does when Trappist does get all this bread, where does he get it from? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, does he have a guy on the inside that that brings shuffles him day old bread when yeah. instead of throwing it out? I don't know. Yeah, a little pita, a little pita malark. Exactly, a little pita malark. You didn't know this, but this is a podcast about. Uh, what is this yeah, podcast they, they, about? I don't even know anymore, man. <laughs> they talk. They talk about uh, the church. Uh, the Tellin Church sometimes gives away bread. Maybe um, you know. Maybe, maybe he's got some, just some line to that or something. Right. Um, yeah, this guy. This guy's a gift to humanity. Hmm. Would you would you have made it into the room? No, I don't think I, I would have. Yeah, I think that moan would have turned me around. Yep. I'm like, yeah, I'm hungry, but I'm not that hungry. Yep. Yep. And I've never been that hungry. I guess I've always and had he, a meal when I got that hungry. So maybe I would, but and maybe that is what keeps the billions of kids away. I don't know. Just the kids that are. Like, but once you do go in. It's like Disneyland. It's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Got this kind guy here. It's like Santa Claus almost gives me stuff. Yep. Just got to do a couple chores for him and I'm good to go. Yeah. These poor feet. Trappist's poor feet that are swollen. And And Kvothe like knows exactly what to do. Yes. (laughs) But I hope he helps. Like we don't get it, but I hope he helps him sometime. Yeah. Hey man, put your feet up. Like do Listen, these things. At the very least, yeah, you just got to do this. This is one of those things. This is one of those things of of what's the quote that you love? I've got it here. The intensity of indifference. Um, that quote reawakening his brain. He could probably set him up as like this 
street doctor type guy that yes <laughs> and probably makes some money and it's true just like helping people and treating certain things and but his mind's just not even there right now he can't even his mind hasn't awoken to that part he just knows the second he made a dime pike would just come beat him up for it probably yeah yeah probably probably but you're right i mean you're right there's certainly ways it seems like he could make some money but you know it's like the you know you need a million dollars to make a million dollars like he can't no one will come see dr quoth if he's the, the no one that has any money anyway unless he's got a business well he can't get a business until he sets up the business to make the money to get the business yeah so, gotta have, that's how things work yeah <sighs> he's got another blow to the head as you mentioned and he does mention being dizzy the next day. I yeah. mean, I'm going to be focusing on this. This guy's got some <laughs> head trauma. He's got some head trauma. And not good. Not good. Okay. I don't have too much have more to, on this one. You're get, yeah, me neither. You're going to have to, uh, you're, you're going to get me having to really start looking up head trauma and its effects. Right. Um, Over time. Start to bring all sorts of theories in about some of his more erratic behaviors because a lot of times it doesn't manifest itself until later until right? later yeah yeah so maybe it's different for everybody why, that's why it's so hard to treat is it's different for everybody maybe so. between that and the alar stuff that's why quoth has these two personalities that bast is trying to like wrangle it's just yeah part of it is stage actual, head trauma yeah is actual physical trauma in You're addition here to everything first, else i bet on the davos fingers podcast <sighs> yep it's not a theory yep. I've seen out there. <laughs> In the expansive King Killer Chronicle fandom. Um, okay, should we go to a time for demons? Let's do it. This is my longest summary, so I apologize in advance, but there's a lot to cover here. Um, learning comes naturally to Quoth, as we know, and that held, holds true after his first few months in Tarbine. He learned a lot about food and where to get it. He learns a lot about where to hide he even finds and lays claim to his own little loft atop an old tannery. And he'd learn just how big Tarbine is. You could live your whole life there, he claims, and never know all of its parts. For all those parts, however, the city really can just be divided into two. Waterside, where the rich people live. No, wait. Waterside's where the poor people live. And Hillside, where the rich people live. Uh, one winter day, Quoth decided to throw caution to the wind and try begging amongst the rich of Hillside, a quest few beggars have the bravery to embark upon. It seemed almost like a formal ball to Quoth compared to the brutal reality of Waterside. There were clean streets, polite vendors, everyone in clean clothes. They all seemed to be participating in some sort of intricate social dance, Quoth recalls. Nevertheless, Quoth played the part of pitiful beggar approaching a pretty young lady and coming away with a whole silver penny, way more than he'd ever received, enough to fill his belly every night for half a month, he says. She was sweet, and Quoth thanked her profusely, but he lingered, and he was noticed. A shopkeeper informed a guard, a police officer type of guy maybe, who before long was chasing Quoth through alleys unfamiliar. He runs into a dead end and is immediately accosted by the guard. Uh, what is with Quoth getting jumped in alley scad? It's just a thing. The guard was mad, mad for making him look bad for begging while on his watch, and he takes it out on Quoth intensely. 
probably another concussion, a cracked rib, multiple contusions from beaten over and over with a club. <clears throat> and at the end of it all, no more silver penny. He lost it somehow. Broken and delirious, Quill slowly and painfully began to make his way back to the familiar confines of Waterside. It actually was a place he wanted to go to after what he just experienced. But he was miles away from his loft, and he soon found himself at night, lying in the snow, sleep drawing over him like a thick blanket, like death, he describes. And yeah, dude, you're going to die probably. Okay, so I need to pause here real quick to just do some world building. This time of year that we're in right now is the time of the midwinter pageantry. It's a week-long-ish religious holiday commemorating the god Telu's victory over the super demon Incanus. The seven days are kind of like an adult Halloween-ish. Uh, starting on the first day of the pageant, there's demons played by troopers like Quoth's troop of old or by just actual townsfolk in this case who run around causing mostly harmless mayhem. They are led by another actor who plays Incantus or Incanus, who's clad in a black mask of his own. And finally, a silver-clad actor portrays Telu, who goes about the city catching the demons. And this happens all throughout the week. Uh, on the seventh day, he finally catches Incanus, and this ushers in the new year. It sounds kind of fun, to be honest, if not a little bit um, like mayhem, almost. It's like, uh, sort of sounds like The Purge to me, that movie The Purge, where just people have I've, free range to just do crazy stuff. I've never um, seen any of those movies, but I agree with you when you said like Halloween, I kind of thought, kind of like The Purge. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, right? Okay, so world building done, we're back to Quoth. Quoth. As he's drifting off into what would certainly, in my mind, be his death, he imagines death itself descending upon him like a great bird with wings of fire. But the pain at being moved jolts him back to reality, and he realizes he's being rolled over by Incanus, or the actor portraying Incanus anyways. The Lord of the Demons, accompanied by a female demon companion, have stopped to help him. The companion wants to keep um, Incanus moving. Telu is on their tail, and they'll be caught if they don't continue on. But Incanus is adamant. This poor, freezing, and beaten boy needs their help. He massages some heat back into Quoth's body, even as his companion warns him that if they are caught with him, their pursuers will assume they did the beating. Reluctantly agreeing, the Incanus actor counsels the boy to not lie back down, to find someplace inside to warm himself up. And then he gifts Quoth his own gloves, nice gloves, and a silver freaking talent, which is a ton of money. Barely believing what he's holding in his numb fingers, Quoth makes his way, trailing blood in his wake, to the first inn he can find, and he asks two girls in the kitchen doorway to bring him food and a blanket. Horrified, they rush to comply, bringing him back a banquet of spiced wine, a loaf of fresh bread, a turkey breast, a warm blanket, and even his change in a little pouch. They even offer him a place by their fire. But hearing a lute playing from within at the inn, Quoth declines and somehow makes it back to Casa de Quoth. Uh, belly full, he falls into a fitful sleep, awakened at midnight by the city bells, for a new year had begun. That's the end of the chapter. It's an interesting one. 
Yeah. I really, I really like this chapter. Um, but I have questions. And I'd my... be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> so I agree with you. The festival sounds, it sounds fun. It sounds like, you know, yeah. a little chaos, but like right. it's in fun. They're not supposed to do like any real harm. Right. It sounds like it's, you know, in the, and all in someone has to do is invoke is... Taylor's name and people back yeah. off and, and they run away screaming and it's fun. Right. It sounds right. fun. You know, the, the worst thing that happens is, you know, you get tickled and somebody throws your hat in the snowbank, maybe. Although mm-hmm. it sounds like in Waterside, maybe things get a little bit rougher, perhaps. Sure. But mostly it sounds fun. But then we get Garrick and Holly, the Incanus that, that, that saves him. And they seem actually afraid to get caught. Holly is a not that she does say the beating thing, right? That they're they're gonna assume that we did this, but not, but that's later. It's a little bit later in the sequence. She's already really worried about getting caught. Mm-hmm. Like there's real stakes to this for them. And it makes me question whether this is all on the up and up, or like is this how they do things at Tarbees? Are there real consequences to this? Right. <laughs> for for at least for encampment, like is he are they two people on death row or something? And if they get caught, they're dead. And if they escape, they get free. Yeah. Or, or if he, I yeah, mean, if he's not the actual Incanus, they're, they're using this opportunity to mask up and escape. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. maybe I don't know. I don't know, but they, it seems like there's some real sense of alarm from them about getting caught when the store, the way the story goes is you get caught. It's scripted. The right. new year comes. And what signifies the new year is you getting caught. So they're supposed to get caught. Mm-hmm. but they seem really worried about it right so there's something i don't know what it is but there's something about it that bothers me and i don't know whether it's you know some of this other you know religion stuff that's you know that we've, we've talked a little bit about already or or what do you did any of those things it, alarm you it or? did catch me a little off guard like what you're supposed to get caught so yeah. part of me wonders is if um these were like so we know that uh the townspeople, the ones just playing the demons, they're just normal townspeople. But I wonder if like Telu and Incanus were actual kind of like actors that they'd hire. It sounds like lots of towns and villages and cities do that. They hire yeah. actual troopers to go and do this. Kvothe's troop did it before. So I wondered if they've got a part to play and it's like, we can't get caught until midnight, right? So yeah, okay. we've got to stay ahead of this crew so that we don't get caught and mess up the story. Okay. It's not as fun explanation. But it it went through my mind as maybe she's just like we got a part to play we got to do this yeah. right. Um, I'll try I'll try yeah. to read it again with that in mind and like maybe it's, yeah she's just trying to fulfill the role. Another because, part of me because you're right. If, tell tell who would look the other way, but the fifty townspeople with him are going to find him right and we got him. You know, yeah, right. and he's like, no, we're not, not yet. No, nope, that's just, that can't be him. Just a guy in a robe. But then the other part of me was like, what I said is maybe this isn't the actual actor in Canis. This is a guy dressed up as in Canis who did something bad and is now trying to get away. Trying to get away. And so he can't get caught because they'll unmask him Scooby-Doo style. And they'll be like, yeah, Mr. So-and-so you're supposed to be in prison right now. Um, Yeah. mm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I, I there is like a major sense of urgency. There's a major yes. sense of urgency from Holly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little off-putting to me. Holly's um, short for hallelujah. 
That's a popular character in the Hold Steady uh, verse, right? Hmm. The band The Hold Steady, oh, they yes. write lots of yes. songs. They have like recurring characters throughout their songs. One of their yes, main characters Holly. is Holly. Yeah. yeah. One of your favorite songs is How a Resurrection Really Feels. That's from Holly's perspective. It's a it's a really good one. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from Incana and Incanis and and get back more to focus stuff, it is, I think, I don't know if it's irony or we're just supposed to chuckle, but interesting that the person that saves him from what appears to be literally you know the angel of death that's about to enclose upon both is supposedly the most powerful demon that would be opposing that angel exactly him over and saves him which yep. is either saying commentary about the church and how misdirected it is or maybe it's just supposed to be funny or maybe it's trying to tell us you know the story is is a little wrong maybe Inconus isn't as bad as we think or there's some misdirection in there somewhere right or maybe it's or maybe it's just meant to play into this kindness theme that we've talked about right you can get yeah. kindness from the people you would least expect and the people you would expect kindness from maybe you wouldn't get it. So maybe it's just playing into that theme. I think so. The the quote when Telu and his followers are passing by Kvoth is all eyes were for Telu. No one saw me standing in the shadows of the doorway. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas Incanus stopped and risked something big ish. <laughs> we don't quite know what to help him and not only helped him, but set him up big time. Didn't just give him a couple pennies, gave him a whole freaking talent um, and and some gloves to help with his immediate needs. Just a really great dude. Just a really great dude. Or at least a dude in in a really good moment, at least. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've talked before about, you know, good people versus good actions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. You know, but but at least a, a person in a really good moment. Yeah. But yep. very reminiscent of the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible. Yes. Um, one I'm sure you're very familiar with, Scatty. I'm familiar. I am familiar with it. I could not recite it all to you, um, <laughs> but I know the basic theme. Yeah. Stops and helps when he wasn't expected to, and not only helps with the immediate needs, but sets him up for the future and all sorts of yeah. good stuff. So. Yeah, um, so I mean, so, I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, dr- overly dramatic to say that he saves his life here. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Like I said in my summary, he was going to yeah. die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems that way. Yep. The symbolism shows it, and he's in rough shape. Yeah. At the very beginning, he's talking about hillside versus waterside, beggars, thieves, and whores versus solicitors, politicians, and courtesans. Mm-hmm. And I loved it because it's so true. Like if you have money, if you have money, you get away with so much more crap and you just get treated so differently. I mean, we don't like to get too political too often, but like just the, like Trump, like all this, all these, all these lawsuits, right? And people are like, well, we should, we can't possibly like actually go after them for these things. Why not? They're crimes. Right. Well, it's because he's rich and got, you know. Yeah. Like that's all there is to it. Yeah. Just get different labels, different opportunities, different. Different opportunities. A certain uh, very famous actor was just had all his charges dropped in a 
manslaughter case today. So, uh, but yeah, I heard, I heard that. Which is different depending on how you feel about that. But um, yeah, apparently even the demons were polite on the good side of town. And of course the irony, the tremendous dripping irony of this chapter is that he takes the most savage beating of any beating he's ever received on the good side of town. And then his life is saved by the Lord of demons in the bad side of town. Right. Yeah. And on that good side of town, it's funny because there are good people. He's met with kindness by the first person yep. he talks to. I put another person on the list. Our the young woman lady. is aghast at his presence. Maybe I mean, you could argue maybe she's donating almost as out of shock as much as a desire to do good. I don't know. But she's willing to give money and do they like do you think they just don't know all these kids living in squalor in water? i think so like, do they it, they're just totally it's it's she's yeah. com- like you said aghast is completely taken aback not used to seeing it yeah um it it almost is implied maybe i just inferred it from the text that she, she, she well she does engage him a little bit and it is I almost inferred that she'd engage him even more. She was willing to like keep talking to him and maybe this would lead to getting further help. And instead, you know, he's run off at that point, but it is something where you get used to it. Even, you know, I took my wife to Brazil uh, over a year ago now and tremendous poverty, right. In some places where we were, And when she first arrived, she was aghast. She would see, and she wanted to help everybody who she saw. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, you know, we hate to say this, but that callousness had already formed and we were walking right past it and barely noticing it, you know, at that point, because we were just, we'd grown accustomed to it even after just a week. So, um, I mean, it's not just Brazil, right? I I mean, like, um, am I any better? You can go downtown here in Salt Lake and I, I don't do anything to help anybody. I don't, you know, like, I mean, I donate some things here and there, but like, I'm just like this woman. I'm like, oh, if I'm confronted with it, it's like, oh, that's jarring. Yes. Let me help you. I'm confronted with it. But like, I know it's out there. She's got to know that there are people suffering and like these people do nothing. I don't do anything. Right. It makes me feel awful. And I think it's, it's a really deft way. It's a, yeah. And I think it's a really deft way for Pat to, to have us judge these people that aren't helping mm-hmm. and then like maybe maybe realize we should be pointing that back at us as well Examine right because yeah i know there are kids i could help that i'm not helping that are going through maybe not quite this bad but pretty bad mm-hmm. yep like i wonder if they maybe give give to the church and think you know like a lot of people do you know in, in our world give to various churches and that alleviates the guilt part of it, at least. Yep. You're well, at I'm not implying sure. that you do it to alleviate out of guilt. guilt. No, and, I know you're not. I know you're not. But, but you know, I think it can help with that too for for some people. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I, you know, I I just bet the Talon Church at least probably just doesn't use it very appropriately. Oh sure. Yes. And we see how reckless they are in attempts to make money. They're the ones that sold the thousands of demon masks. It says the church did it. The church sold the thousands of demon masks. Yes. um, That led to mayhem in the streets. Uh, It sounds way more fun, though, too, to involve the people like that. I mean, 
Yeah. Right. Anyway. As long as there's that understanding. Of the- yes. You're not actually committing crimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's just keep count here, Scad. We've got head blows number five and six happening in this chapter. Um, so, yep. Yep. I mean, four major concussions will end a hockey player's career ish. It's different for everybody. Yeah. He's gotten five or six and he's 13. So, Tua Tagovailoa is a quarterback in the NFL and he, uh, he came out today and said he had considered retiring over the offseason because he had two official concussions. Yeah. Uh, and one that was, they said it wasn't a concussion, but kind of looked like a concussion at the time. So yeah, it's it's a big deal. Yep. Maybe yep. it's less a deal for kids. It seems like it'd be worse for kids. Mm. I think so. I think it would we be need worse to get, for kids. Do we know any brain surgeons in the fandom? Let's uh, yeah. let's, some, let's some talk to some people here. Stuff. <laughs> uh, should we talk about the other the other minor heroes of the? Of yeah, the our little girls at the our Laughing Man Inn. Yeah. Yes. These poor things, right? These poor. It's going to be horrifying. Just, like this kid just this bloody out of the shambling. Shadows. Yeah, <laughs> and I got to like based on how these chapters were going. The first time I read this, I was like, "They're just going to take the money." Yeah, they're not rich. They're That's just what I take thought. The too. Money and shut she the took door. The money went inside, never coming back out. Mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. But Pat surprised me again. But because it was time for a bad thing, right? We had Inconus was a good thing. It's time for a bad thing. I thought they were totally going to screw him over. I did too. I did too. And instead, just like in Connus, they come back and give him perhaps more than what he could have expected. You know, yeah. some warm wine, some meat. You know, all he was expecting was a little bit of bread, maybe in a blanket. Yeah. And not only did they give yeah, him they that, care. but an offer to hang out. That's another what if. That maybe we'll talk about later. Offered a corner it, by the fire. And again, it, yeah, it felt so heartfelt from them, right? Like they mean it. They're like, come in, please. She even reached, it says she reached for him mm-hmm. like to grab his arm and be like, come on in. Like, yeah. hang. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like this is, um, it's like Halloween and Christmas combined with New Year's too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, a time where after all the, the mischief and mayhem people are really kind and maybe a little more charitable to each other. Like it happens around the holidays. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Like if the Christian religion doesn't really have a, do they, a, a festival around like the defeat of, of Satan or of Lucifer? They don't have any. It's kind of Easter. Easter is kind of. Oh, I guess. Um, Cause it's like sin is conquered. Like Christ yeah. overcoming sin and death. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. suppose so. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's overcoming. Yeah, the temptation of sin, and yeah. Okay. Yep. And so it's Eastery. It's Eastery. Eastery New Year's. A little bit Christmas of Easter Halloweeny. Yeah, it's. Let's the let's try to get the of holidays. The Fourth of July, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Arbor Day. Um, Arbor Day. <laughs> they have pine needles. You know, there, yes, the Arbor Day right. and Christmas, that's right, and the bow, the boughs, the tree boughs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they gave him his change back because they could have maybe they bring him the the supplies, but then they're like, Well, that's all your money, that's 
you know, yeah, sorry, inf- inflation, right? Um, we took a great risk. That's our reward. For keeping the rest, <laughs> right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, return him that money, but I mean, what a relief it must have must have felt like to get that back—the money mm-hmm. and the and the goods, right? Yeah, just like okay, that didn't go wrong. I have this, right? And yet he's in such a terrible state. We're about to read what a terrible state he's in. Yeah, but um, why, why not? Maybe we'll cover this in Debbie after dark, but why not go back to the laughing man? They seem, they seem like they could be friends. These yep. young, nice, kind girls. Mm. Knows the play. A couple of, a couple of poignant quotes, the pain of hearing music, but not being able to play the ache in my chest came from nothing more than broken ribs. They were simpler pains, easier to endure than the pain. He felt it not being able to play. Mm-hmm. And then I wasn't sure what I was running from unless it was people. People meant pain. Yeah. Which is too bad because he's been approached by a few people who have absolutely been the opposite of that for him. Yeah. He's, he's pretty broken. Yeah. Um, I wonder how long it's been since the squash guys. I think we know exactly. I think it's still less than a year. You think? Oh, it does say um, his first few months. Mm. So before he decided to try begging and so what I think it was uh, is he, remember he arrived in Tarbin as it was starting to get cold. So I'm thinking like yeah. late summer ish. Yes. And obviously we don't follow along with the months, maybe the twelve yeah. month system like we do here. But this is like in the middle of winter at this point. So five six months maybe. Yeah, those first few months in Tarbion, he learned many things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I had been in Tarbion for two months when I first thought to try my hand at begging hillside. So, yeah, it's a very early stuff. Oh, it's, yeah, fewer. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Do you got more? You want to move on? I think I'm ready to move on. Scad, we're going to get into some real crazy stuff now, man. <laughs> are we is this, is this are where we? it gets crazy <laughs> are we and uh i apologize for my summary too there's a story within a story we're already a story within a story with this book we had a story within a story within a story yeah this chapter uh i try to do my best here but I we're getting some a major inception bullet point format here for some of this go for it recovering from this trauma was going to take a bit both slept most of the next day while drinking the remainder of his wine and finishing off the bread and turkey His body was a knot of pain, and it was a cold, sleet-filled day. It sounds awful. Then he spent the next day in and out of a fevered sleep in his spot on the roof. But racked with fever, he made his way off the roof and hobbled to Trappist's basement, falling down the stairs, probably incurring another head injury again, and thrusting his coin purse out to ask for help. Trappist, ever the saint, nursed him through his fever with his patience and a medicine bought with close money. As he awoke, clear-eyed and feeling a little bit better, one of the boys was asking for a story. We didn't get one. He demanded more loudly. It took both to interpret for Trappist to know what the boy wanted. And after some deliberation, Trappist settled into what was, well, apparently the only story he knew. Rather than retell it all in story mode, I'm going to try to go bullet point style here. Trappist seems pretty unsure about when all this happened and frankly stumbles on a lot of the details. Feels like a story he's heard several times and kind of knows, but 
which maybe the details aren't always the same uh, when he hears it or when he tells it. Demons filled the world in the time of this story. Terrible creatures that would, would swallow men whole or wear their skins. And Canis, as we just met, wreathed in darkness was the worst of them. Telu made the world. Telu seems like the creator, the god creator. But this story predates the existence of the Telen church. Still, Telu is there watching and judging men who were all wicked in this period. And the demons who plagued them, he's watching them too. Telu found one woman, Periel, who was not wicked. Despite much misfortune in her own life, she always treated people with kindness, and she always prayed for others. He visited her, and in a sort of immaculate conception kind of way, gave her a child. The boy, Menda, she named him, was born in three months, and he grew at an accelerated rate and mastered everything quickly. Kid was walking in two days and grew to manhood in two months. The town thought perhaps he was a demon spawn and confronted Periel and Menda. But Menda stepped forward and claimed to be Telu himself, Lord above all. And he was going to free the world of demons and wickedness. And he did, starting right there with this town, offering them his righteous path or one of pain and suffering that they've already been on. Many join him and he punishes them first by striking them with the hammer, but then they are forgiven and they begin walking his path. Some did not cross. They walked their own path until he struck them with the hammer, driving demons out of some of them. He walked the world after this first village, offering the people the same choice everywhere he went, driving out demons, and after seven years of this, he had cleansed the world of demons, save one. You guessed it, Incanus, whom he continued to chase. Incanus destroyed six great cities as he fled from Telu, but as Telu arrived before he could destroy the seventh, caught Incanus, laid him low with a blow of his hammer, and carried his limp body to Atur city. But Incanus was not dead. To truly kill Incanus, Telu strapped him to a giant iron wheel that stood taller than a man. They dug a pit 15 feet wide and 20 feet deep to hold the wheel. They filled it with the boughs of evergreen trees and lit it on fire. After giving the wheel bound in Canis one more chance to walk his side of the path, Telu lifted the great wheel above his head and thrust it flat down into the pit, now glowing hot with the embers from the great fire. But as the wheel grew hot and in Canis' smoking body strained against his bonds, the links that bound him glowed red and weakened, allowing Canis to free one hand, then another. Before he could free anything else, Telu jumped in the fire with him, pinning Incanus to the wheel with his own body, sacrificing both of their lives. I just want to read page, a little bit of the end here. To ash all things return, so too this flesh will burn. But I am Telu, son of myself, father of myself. I was before and I will be after. If I am a sacrifice, then it is to myself alone. And if I am needed and called in the proper ways, then I will come again to judge and punish. Trappist continues on about the ashen gray robes of the priests and how Telu watches and keeps us safe, but is interrupted by one of his many young charges howling and thrashing against their restraints. Both drifts off back to sleep, wondering if perhaps Trappist has been a Telen priest this whole time or in his past. Both stopped by Trappist's basement many times in the months that followed, but he never heard him tell another story. And that is the end of that. So, history. <laughs> Yeah, history. We get uh, uh, history according to Trappus. According to Trappus, perhaps <laughs> a little bit of yeah. I don't know how much of it to believe or how much not to believe. Um, you know these <laughs> these these stories. When you hear one of them, you tend to believe it. Then you hear one that might you know contradict it, and you're like, "Whoa, which is it?" Wait, okay, yeah. And 
you know, we've talked about this a lot of times with the Song of Ice and Fire. Anytime you get to things being thousands of years old, especially in a world where they don't have, you know, the greatest technology for recording things, you start to question, you know, the validity of some of this stuff. Oral sure. tradition right. isn't always perfect. Yeah. Still, though, you know, I, I don't think we walk away from it taking nothing. Sure. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think of, of the of the story of Telu and Inconus? Um, I mean, it doesn't sound all that different from uh, traditional Christian stories that we hear and, and probably other religions that I'm maybe not as familiar with. I, I, I think Rothfuss takes influence from quite a few of them, and I think he means to do that. I think that's intentional. Um, Telu is an interesting god <laughs> right so. um he's he's very fascinated with the whole idea of punishment and saving mm. there's a there's a little problematic in my mind in terms mm. of, of being a god that you want to worship he saves only the worthy the biggest problem with this is is that if you allow the demons to run rampant and do nothing to stop it, eventually you're only going to have demons and you're not going to save anybody, right? Going back to the beginning of the story, yes, uh, no one has the opportunity to become good. Uh, so this church, mm-hmm. according to this passage, holds the idea of like preordination of you're either bad or you're good. As a and apparently they're all bad. And apparently, yeah, they're all bad. So what I mean, constitutes sense- worthy worthy of being saved? Right. Um, Only Perial, apparently, which yeah. is interesting, right? Yep. And um, Perial, of course, is that voice of reason. It's not their fault that the wor- she says that the world is full of hard choices and hunger and loneliness. What can you yeah. expect of people when demons are their neighbors? I love that line. She says it a couple of yes. times, right? Yes. My, my favorite is uh, when she says to him, I think you don't know much about what it is to be a man. Mm-hmm. And I would still uh, help them if I could. Uh-huh. He follows yeah. that up, right? Yeah. I love that. So that's the other interesting thing is when he she says that, I think you know very little about what it is to be a man. And he's like, you're right. Okay, I'll do it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> after a three-month pregnancy, he comes, he grows up in like a matter of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And then he instantly just embarks on destroying evil. Um, he's not really learning what it is to be a man. No. Right? No. No, it's just like I, I got a job goal, to do. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what he says. She's like, I want you to know what it's like to be. I want you to have empathy for mankind, is basically what she's saying. And he's like, yeah. Fine, I'll fine, I'll be a man. And then he like skips every like you gotta have a childhood yeah. to know what it is to be a man, yeah. you know? Like no, yeah, you're right. That's funny. I mean, she says she, you know, you don't know what it's like to be a man. Maybe he uses that to become a man to, but, but he never explicitly says, I want to, I want to learn what it's like to be a man. I think he just, I think she just convinced him that you've got to give these people a second chance. Okay. Right? You've got to let, like, you've got to let them. But, but I still agree with you. I, I mean, he does sound a lot like, and I'm, you know, I'm no expert, right. But he does sound a lot like the Christian God that I'm kind of familiar with, at least like the old yeah. Testament. Right, the right. fire, kind of very fire and brimstoney, right? And, and then you think turns around in the New Testament, right? But, yeah, and you think Jesus is coming. Uh, it, this is a, a kind of a shade of Jesus Christ, but mm-hmm. part of Jesus's whole thing was he needed to experience life as a mortal, 
right. in order to overcome all of those things that life throws at you. And this right. mission is completely different is he's yeah. going to face, you know, sin in this case, isn't just some abstract way that people act. Sin is embodied in this guy and he has to defeat this guy. Right. It's both That's why he's too, there. right? Cause, cause he is curing the people of their sins also. Yes. When he strikes and them forcing down, them like... to face the consequences mm-hmm. of it. And yeah. yeah. So he's yeah. driving out the sin and also driving out actual demons, representations of evil. Uh, and you're right, in, encompassed within Canis there. Right. Mm-hmm. Encompassed within Canis. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, I'm Telu, Lord above all. I've come to free you from demons and the wickedness of your own hearts. So, yeah, he, he announces what he's doing there and he does it. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it but it is. So it, if like if you go back to the origin, you know, like. His, if he created the world, supposedly, I guess he created it. Well, this, this stuff all gets pretty weird pretty quick, but he created the world with people in it, right? And also apparently with demons in it. Or, or there's some opposing force that is his equal on the other it's side. Of also, it, or, you know, yeah. Who knows? Exactly. Who knows, right? But he created a world that allowed for demons <clears throat> if he's, mm-hmm. you know, all powerful. And then the demons just kind of took over and he's like, ah. Oh, I got to go fix this. Dang it. My science experiment got out of control. Let me go down there with a magic hammer and fix this. Right. It's almost like a, just like a troubleshooting exercise for, for his little plaything. Right. It really is. Okay. I'll try this. I'll go and fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get the hammer thing. You get Thor and some of this Norse stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, could he have, This is weird. Just the whole thing of making Incanus suffer and everything is also mm. super strange to me. He said when um, when Incanus was suffering that the sound was like sweet music to mm. Telu. The sound of his suffering mm-hmm. was like sweet music, like he's rejoicing in this punishment. Yeah, um, which is, yeah, you're right. That's not a... And that cast the gods it we're a, familiar with that doesn't see that doesn't add up. Yeah, that feels very sinister. It's yeah, it's like you're going beyond and, the idea of having consequence for sin, which I is something that I subscribe to. Uh, it's what helps you decide to be good is when there's consequences for things that you do bad. Um, the uh, but it feels like he's reveling in it a little bit. Yeah, and it may. It makes me wonder, I mean, these are humans telling these stories, right? Through mm-hmm. the years. And it makes me wonder if the human the human component, you know, of humans do delight in their enemies suffering sometimes, right? Yeah. Humans mm-hmm. are capable of dealing with punishing people in instead of delivering them from their wickedness without punishment. Humans kind of can revel in these somewhat dark good things right i defeated a demon that's good yeah but you did it in a really dark way we're reading these uh these uh new jedi uh academy books right for uh for aaron's lovely podcast and they talk a lot about you know that's of the dark side yeah, but it's a good thing it's going to help us with the enemy it's of the dark side you can't do that for that reason yeah you're towing right? an interesting line yeah right and so i wonder if where i guess i'm going is like Telu behaving this way is weird to you, 
maybe he didn't behave that way. It's just the way humans have adapted the story, which right? is one hundred percent what could have happened. Yeah, and 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 one of the big problems I have with organized religions of all kinds because it all takes human in- interpretation to get it from A to Z, right? And so, um, you, you know that that's always a it's been a stumbling block for me for sure. But um, you know, I, I wonder if that this isn't how it went down. This for is sure. just the way Trappist knows the story. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Yep. Yep. So that's what's always in the back of your mind as you're reading this is. Yeah, was it though? Did he do it? Did he really leave him tied up to that wheel and just made him suffer through it all? Because if his whole point was just to eradicate evil, why even make the guy suffer? Just kill him. It said even demons can die from fire or iron. Okay, so he wanted to give him one more, he wanted to give him one more chance. But after that chance, and he says no, then you're right. He still delights in like, like you didn't have to throw him in the pit and like do all that, right? Time to this wheel well, and everything. I feel like he could have ended it faster than he did. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's a human telling the story, but like, it seems like he's killed demons before without all this pageantry, mm-hmm. right? He but wiped the people, them all out, yeah. the people now have taken this story. I assume of Incanus, and this is where they get all these details from about iron, about digging the pit. Mm-hmm. Certain by remember we heard that in yep. the opening chapters where yep. the, the simple people that yeah the scrail where they're like. And, and he says something like they they did all the right things for all the wrong reasons, right? It's like stories like this taught him to do it the right way, even though it's not the right reason, right? Yeah. And maybe, yeah. I mean, that this story is where that iron thing comes from, the digging the pit and the the different trees that you have to cut down. And mm-hmm. yeah, you get very dogmatic and yeah. And things like that. Yeah. So I think I think this this story, you know, we're questioning a lot of this stuff, and I think maybe we're meant to. I think yeah. Rothfuss is trying to to emphasize some of those things that we see in organized religion. Um, yeah. With some of the I, traditions that are born out of just history and humanity. It, it's funny because by by playing so closely at most most of the places to stories that we kind of already know. Yeah. Right. By playing so close to that line, when he steps away from them, it is somewhat jarring. Yeah. Right. Like these things that you're bringing up about the punishment and the. Right. right. Yeah. But I wonder, I wonder if other cultures don't, don't have that same reaction that are less tied to the, you know, the Jesus story and. Right. Absolutely. Traditional Christian, um, you know, stories. I fully acknowledge that there's, there could be a connections to other religions that I'm completely missing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it might be culturally, it might be interesting to get to understand how different cultures experience this, you know, differently than we do. Totally. I yeah. think the wheel of judgment is a really cool idea. <laughs> I really like it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, after I read this book the first time I had a, I was running a D and D campaign. And uh, do you guys know you're listening to a D and D podcast? And uh, I actually put, so Pat, Pat actually guessed it on critical role, the D and D show that I watch a lot uh, and played a character for several episodes Spent, did a fantastic job. It was amazing. It was like his words written on the pages dripping from his mouth in live form uh, in these sessions. It was beautiful. Something to, to behold in real time. Um, but I made a character because my world was set in the same world as, as that. I made a character based on his character and I, I made him a smithy and his shop was called the Iron Wheel. Hey! Yeah. 
the iron wheel and then the party that that lived in his that was working in his town decided to go off on an adventure that i didn't want them to go on and so i didn't really even get to play with him at all dang it which is how dnd works it's like oh i set this whole thing up and they're like look at this weird horse and then they just follow the horse for three days sounds so frustrating (laughs) come on guys the wheel he's gonna make you a magic box that you can oh come on son of a D and D's great. Uh, but in does, the end, Taylor sacrificed himself to eradicate the greatest evil left in the world. So, with the so understanding that he'd come back, <laughs> if if summoned in the right ways, which again is you know like we saw in the Midwinter Pageant, if you say the right words, you know, mm-hmm. even like his essence, I guess, can scare the demons away, right? Even if he doesn't come back himself, right? Um. Does Menda sound a little bit to you like an exaggerated quote? My head started going to some some interesting places with this. Hmm, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. Maybe we'll come back. I don't remember whether I wrote it down for Debbie After Dark or not. Hmm. I like the idea of it. I'd like to hear more. Yeah, it's it's not fully not fully fleshed. Maybe I should mm-hmm. spend some more time with it. I, what I mean is he just does everything quickly and well. He can he walks quickly, he does all these things faster than everyone would expect, both not to that degree, but but similar idea, right? That he's just yeah. he does everything quicker and faster than everyone and right seems yeah. perfect in some just ways. Kind of two steps ahead of everybody. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Well, that's that. Um and Connus does not sound like the kind of person that would be saving a kid from the snow and giving him a silver talent. Not from this story. Nope. So Garrick, in that regard, you're not a very good in Canis. No. More actor training. <laughs> be more sinister. You got more for this one? I do love that Rothfuss, Rothfuss waits until the chapter after to teach us about the origin of Incanus. I thought that was a cool way of just organizing yeah. his storytelling. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. And I, I wonder, I wonder if he ever had it reversed because mm-hmm. Rothfuss is, he's a tinkerer, right? Like he's, he's playing with his stuff a lot before he really nails it down. That's one of the reasons we don't have the third book. Um, But yeah, it, 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 it definitely does something different. Like, you know, the, the point I made about, Inconus, a demon, being the one to help him, and what does that say, maybe about the religion? And is it, you know, ironic or is it commentary or what is it? You know, if we'd got this story first, we might have thought differently about that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's impactful. Uh, just a lighter note: Did Quoth get a little wine drunk before this? It talks about him feeling. <laughs> Wonderful warmth, a strange, dizzy, and fuddled. <laughs> Is that a be. combination of his concussion and uh, drinking wine, which he's probably not used to drinking? It could be. It just made yeah, me I, chuckle a little bit. I marked it down to just him, the, the fever, but it yeah, it could be. <laughs> a combination of a lot of things going on for that poor kid. Yes. On that note, I got nothing else. Note. Shadows themselves? Shadows themselves. Oh, man. This one was tough for me. 
Um, life was still hard for Quoth, but he was growing as hardy and calloused as the soles of his feet. He'd learned how to beg even more effectively and also added cut purse, pickpocket, and lockbreaker to his retinue of skills. Now, he'd also learned to neither trust nor expect help from anyone, for the night is dark and full of predators. One night, Quoth was awoken uh, in his loft by the sound of pursuit in the alley below. It was several older boys chasing a younger boy of perhaps eight years. Quickly catching him, Quoth saw the boy's bare skin shining pale in the moonlight as the older boys held him down, and the boy, it says, could only sob. Quoth found himself with a heavy roof tile in his hand, ready to throw down at the attackers, ready to help. He says he'd been pursued in a situation like this before and had indeed been caught. But then he pauses, looking back at his secret lair. He had a blanket, a loaf of bread, even some savings, a rainy day fund, not to mention Ben's book. He was safe here. It was his. That would all go away the minute he threw that brick and the boys tracked where it came from. So Quoth set the brick down, went back to his blanket, clenched his teeth, and tried to tune out the sounds of coarse laughter and hopeless sobbing below. That was, this was a tough chapter, man. Are, mm-hmm. Are they just beating the boy, or is there something else going on here? Uh, trigger warning if you need to skip ahead yeah. five minutes, Kalisar. Uh, sexual assault. I, I think he's the boy's being sexually assaulted, absolutely. And 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 therefore also, both have been right. I think so, yeah, it's not um, something I picked up the first two times I read this book. It was, it took me the first time, yeah, the first time I read the book. So a few years ago, I don't remember picking it up, but uh, this time reading it. I think it was the first read through I did for this podcast. I went, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. And then I went back and went, okay, yeah, pretty sure that's what's happening. Just yeah. the fact that um, the sobbing, you know, the skin. says a lot in the skin. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the fact that he's talking, he's told us lots of times about how he's been chased and beaten up down an alley. I've already right. heard two of them, right? And now he's, he said, you know, yeah, that happened to me a few months ago. Right. And I think um, the regret that he talks about in the next chapter, which we'll get to. uh, That's part of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That emphasizes it even a little more. Um, Yeah. And it's it's even sad coming off of this, these chapters where he had all these people willing to help him, even in Canis, facing some dire circumstances himself, according to Holly anyways. Yet he himself wasn't willing to to help someone else who really could have used it, right? Yeah, <clears throat> especially you know, but going having gone through it himself, I know that facing your trauma is not always something you can really do. Right? Mm-hmm. Some people, yeah, some people freeze up. I mean, I guess what he's describing here doesn't seem like freezing up. It seems like a choice. It's yeah, very. A, Proactive choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems silly to point out, uh, but this is the point where Rothfuss makes the other uh small reference to something that's got a much bigger part of the of the story later, the uh the sweet eaters, the yeah. that are addicted to dinner resin. 
Um, and I, they will, he says, they will kill you for a pair of pennies. Right. Because they're so addicted and need, need their fix. I'm firmly entrenched in the, in the season of Better Call Saul that just came out on Netflix. Oh, yeah? Finally, you know, I held off watching oh, it until late. it made it to Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Um, so, you know, feels very methy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch Better Call Saul. But Which really isn't it, a central it, part of Better Call Saul like it is Breaking Bad. But yeah, I think you'll now it's all out, Scad. It's all done. Like this was yeah. the final season. I think you'd really appreciate Better Call Saul. Aowen loved it. it. It just was one of those things. I, I don't know. I was busy with, I don't know, stuff when she started watching it. And then I was behind and mm-hmm. didn't want to wait. And just never, never it's did. So, I saw, you know, I saw bits and pieces so over time. As as happens, right, and and everything I watched, I thought was really well done. But it's so good. Welcome so to good. the Better Saul Call, Better Paul, Gooder, Better, better Call Saul podcast. Yeah, Paul Goodman, what? Have I made the joke too many times? <laughs> Do you uh, have anything else about shadows themselves? Um. Yeah, just little observations. By the third year, his feet were like old leather. I could run barefoot for hours over the rough stones of the city and not feel it at all. Yet, um, you know, in the previous chapter, it was his foot being cut that really Mm -hmm. hobbled him, right? That led to his beating. So I think that's just symbolic of the hardening of he's becoming a more hardy individual overall, even to the point that he's able to not do something that you know, it was very difficult for him to not do. Um, yeah. He's just a natural at everything. He's like, I just learned how to become a cut person, a pickpocket and a lock breaker. I just learned how to do it. You know, his mom was marveling over how good his hands were. Yep. In yep. The previous episode. So yeah, the quote is my nimble fingers were put to a use. My parents or Ben never would have guessed. Indeed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Okay. I That's about all I got for this one. In- other ways that they never would have guessed in the future. Now I went dirty. Sorry. Maybe he does already. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, chapter 25, interlude, eager for reasons. Quoth has chronicler pause and explains that this latest story of the boy in the alley is as close as they will find for the reason Quoth became the Quoth from the stories. He remembers clear as a bell that moment that he chose to let that boy suffer in the alley while he clinged to his existence where the three ribs meet. While Quoth couldn't have done much, he chose not to do anything, and that regret has stayed with him forever. Bast presses Quoth on why he stayed in such a terrible city all that time, in such a terrible situation. While Quoth agrees that in hindsight, quite literally anywhere would have been better, at the time he didn't feel like there was anywhere for him to go. Everyone he knew was dead, or in a Benthi's case, hundreds of miles away in a direction he barely understood with no maps. And beyond that, he was still broken inside from the loss of his parents. He couldn't fathom seeing a Benthi again in any case. His brain was still in shock. When some part of him felt that the trials of Tarbine were maybe just punishment for him not dying when he should have, and his family did. None of it makes sense now, of course, but it did at the time. His brain had to be woken up, stirred into action. He needed a reason to leave and to be reminded of the things that he'd forgotten. And Chronicler's colleague, Scarpy, is just the man to do it. And that's the end of the chapter. Yep. And the end of the chapters we'll be covering for this episode. 
So I like that. That's a good ending. That's a good ending. It's been kind of fun to, to find good spots, right? Like I try to keep around 40 pages, but it's not always exact, exactly 40 for a good stopping point. So this is a great stopping point. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bones mend, he says, but regret Mm -hmm. stays with you forever. That's right. Yeah. And he says, I remember that young boy sobbing in the dark, clear as a bell after all these years. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that clear as a bell simile was poignant. It's remember when um, in the last chapters, when Incanus would lie while strapped mm. to the iron wheel, it would ring out like a bell. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Signifying his guilt. His guilt you know? or even sin maybe of not helping. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And then this is clear as a bell. He remembers that boy. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. That's a good call. I don't have much on this chapter. I, yeah. I think, um, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's an interesting for all the things that he goes through. It's interesting, you know, that he would note this is this is the moment that turned Quoth into the Quoth in the stories. And I guess maybe the only thing I'll add is. I think the quote we're going to get in the stories is mean, a man of action, a man of a man of action, mm-hmm. a man, a man of no limits to what he'll do to, to get done what he needs to get done. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a man that wants to avoid regret regardless, and he'll do almost anything to avoid it. Right. Yep, that's what I took from it too. Not and, want to feel regret again. No. Yeah. That awful feeling. But, yep. Um, I love just some of the stuff I just vibed with big time in this in this little chapter where he says, I'm not saying it's rational. Emotions by their very nature are not reasonable things. I don't feel that way now, but back then I did. And I remember, I love that, right? That's, that's the media that I love to consume is the stuff that doesn't make sense. You and I have talked about it and and said like, that doesn't make sense. Well, it's not supposed to make sense because they're humans making the choices, right? Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah, Flawed. Yeah. Flawed decision-making based on emotions and being human is what's what Mm -hmm. makes stories good. Right. I love it. I love it. And and that's that's one of the things I think, you know, without spoiling, that's one of the things that I really like about this series. I've heard people detract from this series, you know, by saying both is so perfect. I've even done it a little. Both mm. is so perfect. How can you, you know, how can you enjoy reading this guy that has so few flaws? It's like, well, he does have some and they're big. They're big flaws that bite him in the ass a lot. And he doesn't learn from them. Right. And like he just keeps doing them and he hung a sword from the he hung a sword yeah. from the freaking end pride him. is pride is one of them right and and i i don't know i i find it i i find him very relatable in his totally mm-hmm. unrelatableness sure right sure like That's he's a this paragon of humanity and then he still suffers from like the worst of the worst character traits you can have right, right. Yeah. And then he kind of gives you hope in the sense that yeah. he's 
soldiers on and still does a lot of good and keeps at it. So I, I really, I really vibed with that idea. Um, and I know you do too. Uh, and this one is for, for us as well, Skad, because I know you're the same way. We're all creatures of habit. It's far too easy <laughs> to stay in the familiar ruts we dig for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that hurts. Here we are, 142 episodes later. <laughs> yeah. In the familiar ruts. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. this, is, this is one of the ruts I enjoy. Yep, absolutely. I don't want to get out of this rut. I don't probably, enjoy all probably other ones. I, I should, one. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should stop watching. Are you the one? That's a rut. I is that your rut? Away from. Is that your rut? Oh, you know, I like those trashy, terrible dating shows with all the hot people running around. Mm-hmm. You and Padme. You and yeah. Padme. But hey, I sit and watch some of. Star Wars Disney's or Disney's Star Wars offerings. So I don't know that mine's much better. I haven't hey, seen the finale yet. I haven't either. Nope. Nope. Shall we uh, move on to Debbie after dark? I'm ready. Is it time? Yep. All right, let's do it. So if you're not interested in being spoiled, stop now, join us in a month for our next episode, which will cover, you know, vaguely 40 pages. I've got it laid out somewhere. Uh, but uh, come join us then. If you want to stick around for all the spoilery fun, do so after, and we'll start after this little jingle. Debbie after dark. Um, where where do you want to start with this one? We were talking before of how we don't have a ton of Debbie content in this one. Um, yeah, we covered it in an episode that's looking like one of our longer King Killer episodes so far. So, which is great. Yeah. This is my <clears throat> document with the least amount of notes that I have. Mm-hmm. I have this is an eight-page document for me. I usually go around ten. Whoa, my notes and everything. Um. Well, what, let's start with your what ifs. Yeah. So, what if he'd gone with Jake and Seth? Yeah, and I, I think, I think your two what ifs are kind, kind of have similar similar answers right sure i do too i think yeah i, I think if he had made <clears throat> either one of the so the other choice that matt asked about what if it that is what if he had gone inside the inn the the, the, the laughing man laughing man laughing yep man. Mm-hmm. i get it confused with the kneeling man yeah of course so yep. uh and i think you know what what you th- what you think might happen is maybe not maybe not where it would go so mm. he would maybe have to start dealing with people again and some of those doors might start opening right and he might start to have to talk a little bit about his family or whatever but he also would just kind of adopt a new life and replace the old one and just bury it for good and move past it sure and so i wonder if it would have been something where he this awakening that he's talking about at the end of this last chapter here where his brain gets woken up Maybe never happens. Never happens. Mm-hmm. He just tells them the cursory bits of the story, buries it again, and builds a new life with these other people. Right. And that would be, you know, it's hard to call it tragic. Like, it'd probably be a happier life for him, to be honest. Right? But then we wouldn't have King Killer Chronicle, so I don't know. We wouldn't have the Chronicle. What do you think? I, I'm, in, I'm in the same boat as you. Um, 
he goes with Seth and Jake, say, lives yeah. a quiet, comfortable life where they sing songs and eat buttered bread and they and love squash. each other and squash. They probably don't eat a lot of squash. They're probably so freaking <laughs> sick of squash. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, from the looks of it, he will be very loved and very cared for. But uh, you mentioned tragic. There's a bit of tragedy in that. Just knowing, you know, as Ben says, this kid's going to change the world. This kid has Lost the ability to change yeah. the world. And you have to wonder if he gets, I hate to say mired down because it would probably be a pretty idyllic, just good yeah. life, salt of the earth people. Just you're busy every single day, getting up at five in the morning to work the farm and you're working hard and you go to bed tired every night. Um, it's not a bad life to live, but for someone with the potential Quoth has, is there some tragedy in that? Maybe. Uh, and so you, you wonder what would be missed. Um, on the other hand, maybe, maybe some of that stuff comes back out again and, you know, he wants to leave and join the Imperial Academy like mm-hmm. his uncle Owen had promised him. He could, um, That's right. Next summer. I need you, Luke harvest is when I need you the most. Um, but maybe he does end up being able to leave and go to the Academy. I don't know, but, um, it's just another season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This sense of, you know, is it a tragedy if people don't get to share their gifts? You know, or are people, do you have a responsibility to share your gifts if you're good at things, right? I'm, in or high school, I reach that peak that you're, that you're, you have the potential might to reach. Able, right. Yeah. Or can you just watch TV like I do? I remember in high school, <laughs> uh, I had two, again, they weren't friends. I'm starting to think I didn't have any friends. Uh, they weren't friends. They were acquaintances. You knew a lot of friendly, people. Uh, <laughs> John Lee and Chris Tong. One of them was a fantastic pianist uh john and the other one was a fantastic violinist and uh they they would talk about you know whether like whether they were driven by like needing you know they had this gift and they they needed to share it or like they had to or they just enjoyed doing it and if they could stop or you know are they are they is there kind of a a sense that they should share this with people because they're so good right and we're high school kids maybe they aren't as good as i thought they were at the time but at the time they seemed amazing and the, i remember them debating it for like an hour mm-hmm. and uh i don't know i i, I feel like both would he's the kind of person maybe at some point he he says he needed something to wake him up but he just stumbled on something at some point he's too yeah. special right maybe maybe know. you know what's interesting it just hit me the life that I just described is minus the love and affection of a family is kind of the life he's living right now at mm. the current point of the story, right? In the inn, he's got just a very set set of tasks that he does every day running the inn and yeah. lives a very quiet life, uh, burying yeah. his talent a little bit. Now yeah, that is born true. a little more out of need. It sounds like he's hiding. Um, there's well, maybe he's already do done that. Maybe done some of the things that that he owed the world to do. That he owed the world, but yeah, you're right. That idea of do we owe the world our, you know, yeah, sharing that even if it means that we have to suffer to get there, or are we, are can we empower ourselves to just live a quiet life if we want to? Yeah, 
I think there's maybe some value in that too. <laughs> so sometimes Matt, like you say these things and they just strike me. And I don't know why this one did, but it's just like, I take all this stuff way too seriously. Like maybe if I just relaxed and had a good time, uh-huh. it wasn't so uptight all the time. <laughs> this would just like, it's okay to just live a life like that. Right. And not be angry and like <laughs> anxious all the time. I could probably, can I do that? Can you just do that tomorrow? Starting tomorrow? Can you just do I that? No, man, I, I'll try. <laughs> I imagine the second I start working, I'll be like, I'll grumble about something. Yeah, that's gone. <laughs> Living the uh, Jerry Gergich life, remember from Parks and Rec? <laughs> Gergich life, yeah, yeah, it's the dream. Mm-hmm. Puts in his forty years or whatever at the parks department, and mm, he gets retires. to come home at five o'clock every night and be with his family mm-hmm. and go yep. on vacations in the summer. And yep, yep. But Jerry Gergich is no quoth. No, no. Yeah. But then, yeah, going to those, uh, and and then maybe he goes into the laughing man. You got to think, man, picking up that loot again. How healing could that have been? He heard oh, a man. loot playing in the laughing man. And maybe he goes in and rests for a little bit, you know, gets a little more comfortable. And then maybe one yeah. night he's like, can I try? And yeah. then just, and just people are crying. It's all Rhaegar Targaryen in there, you know, like. We're about to see him do that very thing, um, mm-hmm. not in an inn, but uh, in in a setting where he just he can't help himself but play, mm-hmm. and he embarrasses the hell out of somebody whose loot it was. And yeah, you got to think like he could have easily just, like you said, he could have just turned into a an in the best in performer in Tarbine. Yeah, right? and he just that's his job now. He just plays shows and. Or he hires a bodyguard up, so he doesn't get killed every time he goes around the corner. Or he ends up working at the Laughing Man Inn, just like he's working in now with Bass, yeah, you know? And sure. Gets a, gets a job, yeah. works his way up to the top, you know? Yeah. With that sharp mind of his. Pretty soon the yeah. Laughing Man's the, the, the most happening place in all of Tarbine, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's interesting. It is interesting. And it, all yeah. of it would have come about, would have started with just accepting human kindness, mm. right? Yeah. Is there a lesson there for us to learn? I know I'm not often good at accepting kindness. I'm not great either. Uh, I, it's a thought I have often, to be honest, in this series is like, you're so talented, get out of your own way and Mm -hmm. just spend a few, just spend a few months making money playing the loot because you can totally (laughs) do it. Just stop the school stuff. Stop, you know, we're moving away forward in the story here, but like, just, just get ahead in life a little bit and then do what you want. Cause you've got, you can do this. Set yourself get up out of your own way. Uh, but you're only 15. I forgot. You don't know any of this stuff. <laughs> uh, not old grizzled curmudgeons like us. <laughs> anyway, I never said grizzled. Uh, where do you want to go? Got a few things. We did our what ifs. So what do you got? What else you got? Um, Nothing can hurt us after we are dead, or so we have been told. And just the way he says that line makes me wonder if Quoth actually does die as mm. part of this whole saga and comes back, you know, ever more hurt. There's nothing Dang. can hurt us after we're dead, right? Right. I don't have anything really behind it at the moment, but wow. like, 
You know what I mean? We haven't talked much about that fourth door. No, no, we haven't. Fourth door is there. I do think, I do think he's got some serious head drama. It's the last time I'll mention it, but <laughs> I bet it is not the last time you mention it. It's going to be an ongoing theme. <laughs> I'm going to pay attention to every time something comes close to that young man's head. Uh, yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Um, you mentioned how interesting the, the idea of a knot is. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. The quote, so the quote is knots are interesting things. There's something potentially, um, there's something potentially tied to the the lockless box, which I think we've talked about before. The lockless box shows up in book two. Uh, it's a box with no kind of like the box in his own uh, his um, room, a much smaller right. version, but like the box in his room. It's got no visible lid to open, right? It doesn't. No one knows how to get it open, um, but there's something on it that Quoth identifies that actually the owners of the box have had it for generations. They didn't notice it before, but Quoth notices it. And it's called a story knot, which is a, a Yilish language, a Yilish way of telling the story. And <clears throat> I wondered, and it's, you know, it's a bit throwaway. I don't have much on it, but I wondered if the line that Ben gives him in the dream is, you know, the knot could be the strongest or the weakest part of the rope, right? Well, the story knot, if it's like a riddle, or a clue as to how to open the box, that can be the strongest part of the lock of the box if you don't know the story knot or don't know how to read it or don't know its secret. But if you know that story, then it's the weakest part of the, of the lock, right? And um, the way it goes is that, and I think we talked about this in the last the last episode, maybe or the one before, hmm. the way the theory goes is that the close mother is actually a, the lackless that ran away. Um, you know, and, and his high nobility, basically. Um, and that if if she was, then he's the blood of that family and may have some of the secret to open that. Um, you know, if he can if he kind of figure it out. The blood, maybe. It talks about one of the riddles talks about you know the blood or something. So right. uh anyway, just tying that knot thing that doesn't exist and that didn't happen in his story, but maybe it's some sort of premonition type thing for his future with this lackless box. It's a bit it's a bit of a stretch. Hmm. Yeah. You gotta think that that's gonna come up again though, no question. The knots the fact that yeah, that it would come up in this dream and then he makes a point of saying Ben never talked to me about knots. Yeah, they're coming back. So. Feels like it. Feels mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about angels? Angels is an interesting idea. Yeah. So, talk a lot about demons. Let's talk about some angels. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure there, I'm not kind of in the theme of what we talked about earlier with this religion and how maybe it's a little mixed up. I'm not sure how different they are, right? Um, at least in, in their sense of this story. Um, death in the form of a great bird with wings of fire and shadow. It hovered above, watching patiently for me. I slept, and the great bird settled its burning wings around me. I imagined a, a delicious warmth. Then its claws were in me, tearing me open. So that's right before he's about to die, right before Encanus rolls him over in the snow. <clears throat> um, in the next, actually, I think it's two chapters away from where we stopped, we get... Um, 
we get this. The last time he touched them, this is um, Aleph, which is a, a version of Telu. The last time he touched them, there was pain and wings tore from their backs that they might go where they wished. Wings of fire and shadow. Same, same lines there. Wings of fire and shadow. Wings of iron and glass, wings of stone and blood. And um, this is, this is that, that text is taken from a part of a story where we're hearing about essentially the creation of angels. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess this is just evidence maybe that, um, you know, what he's seeing is an angel, right? The angel of death, perhaps. <clears throat> but also how interesting that its claws were in me, tearing me open. That's not a, it's not a, not a, not a good Pleasant image. Feeling. Not, mm-hmm. no, well, not, and it's not a, you, I mean, you tell me, Matt, but it's not usually what I get from the experience you would have with an angel, right? And so, and then he's saved by Encanus. And so I think he's definitely playing a lot with this angels versus demons thing and how, how far apart maybe are they? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and we'll get a lot more in the, in the next book when they start telling us the story about Lan Ray and stuff. But um, I just, it, it feels like he it feels like he's trying to make that line muddier than we normally think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Muddier or even mislabeled completely. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. You think we'll see Holly and Garrick again? I hope so. <laughs> I, it would be I so think, cool to see him, Garrick, just come back at some point. I I don't like the, the, I use this argument maybe more than I should, but like, why give us their names? It could have just been in Canis and the, the, the mask with the demon smile or something. Like, he gave us their names. We didn't get the guard's name that beat him right. up. We didn't get the girls who gave him the stuff's name, right? We got their names. Not usually that means something at some point. So yeah, I'm wondering if they'll if they'll come back. Maybe they'll they'll be tied to some of this some of this religion stuff. I, I kind of I kind of feel like there's maybe like this little subgroup of people running around this world that are trying to. Um, trying to work to keep the real story of the religion alive and not the stories that everyone tells like Trappist, oh, right? Maybe. Not the stories that everyone knows mm-hmm. kind of similar to the Chandrian and how they're trying to remove their stories. These people are running around trying to keep these stories There's like alive. an underground resistance yes. to that. Garrick and Holly might be two of them and, and Scarpy who we're about to meet as well. And maybe even the Chronicler, right? Trying to keep these stories real and alive. And, um, I wonder that. Interesting. Yeah. Love it. I don't have too much more. No. In this paltry Debbie after dark segment. I mean, it turned out a little better than I thought. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. I have enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. We've, I've got some other stuff here, but it can, it can keep the, these are things that are going to so? come back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Certainly got the stone archway in his dream. Mm-hmm. reaching through it and he wakes up that stone archway will come back for sure later in this book yep 
uh, will always be wondering about Trapeze's background, where he's come from. Yes. Yeah. Um, the th- you know, the theory is that he's a Talon priest. I kind of said that maybe earlier. Um, you know, a, a Talon priest that either lost his way or got kicked out or maybe realized the stories weren't all that they crack- cracked up to be. I don't know. Yeah. Rothfuss. I found this. I won't call it research because I don't figure this is research. This is just looking stuff up on the internet. Um, <laughs> it counts. Yeah. Research feels a little more labor intensive to me. Uh, he explained in an interview with Tor, the famous publication, that Trappies is actually a disciple of a schism of Talonism mm. referred to as the Mender Heresies. The Mender Heresies. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. Because hmm. Mender, Mender comes up later, right? Well, Mender There's is Menda. the name. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Isn't there? Yeah. Menda, Mender. Mm-hmm. I don't so. know. But seems so maybe he's someone that got booted. Mm-hmm. As part of the schism. Yeah. But he's still got people on the inside feeding them bread. Getting bread from someone. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. But not any more information cool. other than that. Where did, where did you find that? Was it like an interview? It was, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I first found it on, I was just like reading some Reddit thing or something. Mm-hmm. And they said it on there. And then I found it. It's on the wiki, actually. Uh, for oh, under, trapezes, under trapezes. Under uh, trapezes. Oh, cool article but it doesn't give a lot but it does give a footnote to a blog i haven't even gone to the blog to look at it it's on tour.com rothfuss reread pat answers admissions questions that would probably be i'm gonna go interesting to read i'll send it to you yeah it's 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 interesting starting this this coverage for this book right because I feel like we're pretty spoiled with the Song of Ice and Fire content that's out there. Yeah, it's really easy to find. There's a billion people talking about it, and I don't know. It just feels easier, and we don't know the haunts. We don't know where to go look. We go to the wiki, and the wiki just is do the, do the Google search is not even. <laughs> the wiki is good, but it's close not close to what we have yeah. for Song of Ice yeah. and Fire. No. Anyway, anyway, good episode, Matt. Great episode. I really had fun Matt. talking to you. Right back at you. Good. Right back at you. Shall we sign off and close this thing down? Let's do it. All right. My sign off's really simple. So good night. Love you, Kalisar. And uh, maybe take Scad's advice and get out of your own way a little bit. And don't be so angry. Well, you uh, can be angry, but get out of your way. Uh, I I liked this from Incanus in the, in the story within the story within the story. I would only change how fast I ran. Do it. I don't know. I, I don't think it's good advice, but if you're going to run, I guess run fast. Yeah, go for yes. it. Maybe that's what kind of Quoth becomes later. Maybe he kind of adopts mm. that. And that's kind of wild to think about. Good one. Nice poll. Glad you said that. All All right. right.
Thanks, Matt. A lot of fun. Thanks, guys, for listening. See you. Bye.